I can't really hear myself. I thought maybe you had an unmuted. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Batter Round on this beautiful and hot Saturday morning. My name is Paul Valley. I'm your host. With me, as always, is my incomparable, immeasurable wow. co-host and producer, Zach Goodman. Although, I gotta say, I produce the show. You run the soundboard. I'm the producer. Uh, uh, um, I'm the Sure. Pro- we'll go with I- that. I'm the producer now. Does that mean Glenn Clark is the... So you weren't producing Glenn Clark show all that time. You were just the sidekick Zach's who a, ran Zach, the soundboard. Zach, Zach's a producer. Zach's a producer. Zach's a producer. Welcome. Sure. Welcome to the Batteround. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. The Batteround is brought to you by your local Toyota dealers. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models, a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. And Zach, Orioles may be playing some of their best baseball of the year. <laughs> John Colson over the Grand Poobah <laughs> of Press Box has yelled in five years. Uh, and it's true. I, got, I have to be honest. I've been producing or hosting this show for since December of 2019, mm-hmm. and this is the best team I have covered for PressBox. I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, th- this is the best team that I've covered for PressBox, and it's been it's been a ton of fun, you know. And and last night was no different. The Orioles they go with a bullpen game for the second time since Sunday, and for the second time. Since Sunday, Austin Voth gets the start out of the bullpen, and he goes three innings. He allows one hit, one run, three strikeouts. He did very well against the Rays in his start on Sunday. I was actually at that game on Father's Day. Right, right. And the rest of the bullpen came in, gave up nothing. And when I say nothing, not just no runs, no hits. Yeah, yeah. The, the Orioles pitching staff, a bullpen game, one hits. The Chicago White Sox who are really struggling. They are. Right now. They are. They are really struggling right now. And and it just goes to show how much they're struggling because the Orioles' first run of the game, Cedric Mullins leads off the game with a bunt single. He steals second. He goes to third on a wild pitch, and he scores on a wild pitch. Mm. The Orioles' second run of the game comes with Adley Rutschman. He doubles. He goes to third on a ground out, and then he scores on a balk. So the Orioles have a two to one lead because of the White Sox imploding. Yeah, on the mound. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we talked about it last year to a pretty great extent. But when they hired Tony Larusa, I think Stan, myself, and yourself all questioned that move. We said, you know, you've got a manager who just put you in the playoffs. You got to the wild card game, and sure, you didn't go much farther than that. But we questioned him coming back, and he is a—he's, I, I believe, a Hall of Fame manager. Correct? I mean, he's—he's he's been around. He's the in game. the Hall of Fame. Right? Yes. He's in the Hall of Fame already. He's been around the game for a great number of years, and the guy has great experience. But I think we're starting to see some of the shortcomings that his team. Uh, 
has at this moment, and they're simply well underperforming. I mean, they, they, they have so much talent. Guys like Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, and Andrew Vaughn. I mean, these are really good players, and they're well underperforming. And that. that's before you mention Eloy Jimenez and yeah. Tim Anderson. Yeah. Sure, it's, I mean, yeah, there, there's a number of great players. And the starting rotation, you've got guys like Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito. Uh, it's it's a stacked team it, Lance across Lynn, the board. I haven't heard Lance Lynn at I all. I believe he's been injured all year. I believe, Okay, yeah. okay. He, was, he was... In the Cy Young he was, conversation yeah, he, last year. He's been great, and it's it, the, the talent is immeasurable, but they don't play up to that talent level. Maybe it's Larissa's fault. Maybe it's a team chemistry thing. I don't know what it is, but it's it's certainly giving the Orioles a chance to step in and, and play well, well in Chicago. And the, there's, a, there's a lot of distractions with that team. Sure. Uh, oh, yeah. You, it's, you, whether it's Larissa putting his foot in his mouth or it's... You know Tim Anderson and um, Josh Donaldson and, and Josh Donaldson, and now it, the the bench is cleared mm-hmm. yesterday in the second inning. They hit Jorge Mateo, um, and it looked pretty blatant. It was intentional. It looked <laughs> it looked pretty intentional. You could yeah. tell by uh, Kopech. That's his name. Is it Kopech? Kopech. Yeah. Kopech. Uh, you could tell by Kopech's reaction that it was basically intentional, right? Yeah. And you you'd think that this is because uh, Josh Harrison got hit in the, the in his back arm mm-hmm. um, the other day, the day before, which was not intentional. No, no. A- and he tried to move out of the way and stuck the arm out, and that's how it got hit. Yeah. I don't understand throwing at Jorge Mateo in that situation. And Mateo made him pay because he stole second, he went to third, and he ended up scoring on a Richie Martin single, right? So... But the bench is clear, and that's another distraction. And Tim Anderson's right in the middle of that, going back and right. forth with Ruth Neto Door. Whether it's your manager, whether it's Tim Anderson, and Tim Anderson was in the right with the Josh Donaldson. Yeah. But let's make no mistake about that. He was in the right. Horrible that. comment by Jeff. Made yeah. no, terrible. Yeah. Uh, and, and you don't know him well enough to make a joke like that. Mm-hmm, right. right. So, but that's neither here nor there for, the, for this particular situation. But it all ties in together that this is a team that's imploding. Right, you know, they're 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 destroying themselves from the inside, and the way they're playing, getting shut out by the Orioles mm-hmm. on Thursday, and then one hit by the yeah. Orioles in a bullpen game on Friday. I don't know that Larusa finishes the season. I don't think he's, as a manager. I don't. I think his seat is very hot at the moment. It's I mean, got to be. Jim Palmer said last night. Look, Jim Palmer's been around a long time. He's been broadcasting since the '90s. He's been watching baseball for a long time. He knows Larusa very well. I would assume. And he said on the broadcast, throwing at guys uh, in, as a retaliation effort is something that Larusa's teams have always done. That's something he said on the broadcast last night, and that stuck out to me. <clears throat> you can't do that. You just can't retaliate like that. You can. You can retaliate. If it's warranted. Well, it wasn't warranted. Right. You, De- De- right. Dean Kramer losing a fastball and hitting Josh Harrison was mm-hmm. not intentional. No. That was not intentional. Now, Because if, why would Dean Kramer want to hit Josh right, Harrison? Why would anybody want to hit Josh right. Harrison? It, right. Now, if the guy before him had hit a home run mm-hmm. and showboated and then Kramer drills Harrison <laughs> in the ribs. Then you would, yeah. yeah. Okay, or... If Harrison had homered in his previous bat and took twenty five seconds to get or thirty seconds to get around the bases, it's probably intentional. That was not intentional. And to throw at Jorge Mateo, yeah. uh, 
like that's low hanging fruit. It's childish. It really is. Yeah. That's what it, it's retaliation that wasn't warranted, and it, that's Larusa, and that's what that's what Jim Palmer said, and I think that's a very accurate uh, depiction of the situation. And you know, maybe like you said, his seat has to be very hot at the moment. It's you're, got to be. You're, I mean, you're playing again well under the. They've had some injuries. I get that. I mean, they they've had some guys go down, and Luis Robert missed all of last year, and he still had some issues this year. But look. This team is way better than the record shows, and mm-hmm. Larusa, I think, is the one holding them back. Yeah, uh, they something's got to happen. You look what happened with the Phillies; um, they fired Joe Girardi, and then they had then they go fifteen and two. Yeah. in their next yeah. seventeen games. I mean, I've said over and over, it's it's not that managers what they put out on the field, you know, lineups and and pitching cards or whatever. It's not that that makes the difference. It's the team chemistry, and I don't mm-hmm. think Larusa is promoting a good one at all. I think and, this team and, is. And how could he? He's an old school baseball yeah. mind who's pushing eighty years old, and he's got a bunch of guys in their early to mid twenties on, on yeah, the, yeah, who in in a day and age the whole woke. Uh, situation <laughs> and, and, and it just the way yeah. the society is now, how can a guy who's almost 80 years old, who's been managing for 40 years, mm-hmm. be in tune with the players that he has? I, ju- I He's just not going to be. I just don't see it. And you no. and the thing is, you see managers getting younger and younger and younger, right? And then you have the outlier, mm-hmm. which is Tony Larusa, who's almost 80 years old, right. managing a, one of the youngest. And most energetic teams in baseball. I don't think he has a, uh, his finger on the pulse of that team. No, at all. And <clears throat> you know they, they they got rid of Renteria after he took him to the playoffs. And I I can't imagine that this team would be playing worse. Oh no for way re- for Renteria. And that's what that's what the three of us when we had we talked about this extensively last year. We we agreed on. We said, look, you've got a manager who took you to the playoffs. What's your reasoning in firing him? I mean, you're, sure, right. you're bringing back a guy who's in the Hall of Fame, but he's in the Hall of Fame because of what he did 30 years ago, not mm-hmm. what he's doing now. He, it, it's it's a different situation. We talked a lot about too with Buck Showalter over the over the years that Buck Showalter is a guy that. You know, kind of resented analytics a little bit, but Buck Showalter is doing a great job with the Mets. So whatever he's doing chemistry-wise is, is fantastic over there. he knows how to manage a right. clubhouse. LaRusso, on the other hand, he probably rejects analytics. I'm not sure of his situation there, but again, he's 80 years old. He hasn't grown up around that kind of baseball. And like you said, it's hard to put your finger on a pulse of a team that is full of 20-somethings and when you're 80 years old. That's a very, very tough generational gap there. Yeah, and what's the owner's name of the White Sox? Oh, I, I do not know. I can't remember uh, off the top of my head. I'll look Stan, it up. Stan would be really good at the Stan. Stan knows this like it's right on the on the tip of his finger. Um, but it the, is Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf. Thank you. I knew it began with an R. J- Jerry Reinsdorf prematurely got rid of Larusa in the '80s mm-hmm. uh, when he was managing the White Sox, and he brought him back as a way of himself righting a wrong, mm-hmm. basically. But he created another wrong. By bringing right. this guy in who hadn't managed in 10 years, right. by bringing him in to manage a young ball club that's a different ball club than any, than any club in a different day and age than he's ever managed right. in. And now he's got a problem on his hands. And they, they got to figure it out because they're way too talented to A, be below 500, and B, be playing as poorly as they are right now. Now, again, the Orioles headed in an opposite direction. And we say that the, the White Sox have more talent. Yes, th- th- at the this Orioles. point, yeah. But the Orioles are, are kind of evening the playing field, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about this a little bit later. Um, I just realized I didn't set up an Orioles banter segment for our show. I did not. But we'll, we'll, we'll get something going. Yeah, no. We'll well, you going. know what? I, I, we're going to talk about the sure. heart. We're going to talk about the heart of the Orioles order. 
um, in the Orioles band. We do have three guests today. We have Stan the Fan Charles coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, after that, from ESPN, their baseball insider Kylie McDaniel is going to join us to talk about some prospects and some and, and the draft. Uh, and then at 11:40 from the Locked On Orioles podcast, Connor Newcomb is going to join us. He's on his way to the beach, but he's gracious enough to join us uh, from his trip down there to Con- talk some. Connor Newcomb, the greatest voice. Oh, he's maybe in, for in, um, in, it's, incredible it's voice. Insane. I wish like, he it, would read me a bedtime story. Yeah, every, I know this guy. This guy just has the silkiest, smoothest. It's crazy. Just Incre- wait till, in, incredible voice. Yeah, he does. Incredible, incredible voice. Um, but look, uh, Orioles right now are playing better baseball than the White Sox, and the talent level is beginning to match. Yeah. Right. And you look at Austin Hayes, another RBI double last night. Adley Rutschman, another double. He has nine doubles. In his last 13 games, everything he hits yeah, is yeah. loud. Even his outs. How many times have you seen him smoke a line drive right at the first baseman? I mean, you saw it with Pollock last night, making the diving catch and mm-hmm. taking away what would have been another double. Um, everything hey, he, everything he, he's hitting hard. He flew out to dead center field in his final at bat. 398. <laughs> he hit a, a baseball 398 yeah. feet, and he got out for it. Uh, everything he... And look, we saw how long it took for guys like... Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio Rodriguez yeah. to really get going, right? Right. Spencer Torkelson still hasn't figured no, it out. No, not at all. Right? And then you look at Adley Rutschman, mm-hmm. and after the first two weeks where he was still getting his bearings and still getting used yeah. to the speed of the Major League game, he's hitting over 320 his last 13 games. And like we said, the slugging percentage is off the charts because he got 11 extra base hits in those 13 games. Right. Uh, this is a guy who is, I don't want to say he's becoming a superstar, but he's tabbed to be that. But he's becoming a star right before our eyes in a very short period of time. I think we're seeing him start to realize the potential that we all know he has. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where we're I, I wouldn't jump to any conclusions yet, like, oh, he's going to be this or he's going to be that. But he's certainly playing to the point where we can get ex- start to get excited about well, him. And, and he looks comfortable. That's he, the biggest thing. He's, and the reason I brought up those other guys, he has gotten it going. Quicker, yeah. Far quicker yeah. than the other highly touted rookies. Torkelson now, has been horrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, now, now, you look at, and you're going to sound off on a guy who got mm-hmm. sent down prematurely by the Angels. It's mm-hmm. another uh, another great sounding off segment that we're going to talk about here uh, in a little bit. But um, th- th- what, what Rutschman's doing, and look, Julio Rodriguez is running away with the rookie of the year mm-hmm. right now in the American League. I think, we, I think we can all agree to that. Sure. But Adley Rutschman will have something to say about this. Before it's all said and done, if he yeah. can, if he continues doing what he's doing, I look up every game and he's got a double. Right, you know, and he a moonshot home run on Thursday. Now he drove in three of the four runs on Thursday, and this is a guy who's just he's really you want to see him walk a little bit more. Um, he didn't have a single walk this past week, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Because he hit 278 this past week, when yeah. all of his hits seem to be extra bases. It's so refreshing too, because you've seen the Pedro Severinos of the world mm-hmm. and Chance Cisco and Austin Wins, and nothing against any of those guys, but they're not good. They're not Adley Rutschman. Right. <laughs> they're not. They're not. You no. know, a future uh, future star in this league. And you know, even even while some of them, like Wins specifically, has defensive value. Rutschman's far outclassing any of those guys behind the plate. I mean, he is such a good defender. You talked about it in your notes. I see here, so I'll, I'll let you ex- explain a little bit more. But at the plate, he's been gr- at the plate, he's been good, and at, behind it, he's been better. It's, it, it's, he has caught in the last seven games. He has caught three shutouts, mm-hmm. two one-run games, including a one-hitter. Yeah, 
How and look, the team ERA since Rutschman made his debut is four forty five. It was I I I put together um, the uh, trying to figure out the ERA. His first several games, they they allowed six runs, five runs, six runs, eight runs, five runs, twelve runs, nine runs, Oof. five runs, six runs, uh, six runs, eight runs, uh, six runs, eleven runs. But since then, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of nine games. They've allowed two runs or less. Wow. Seven wow. of nine games. They've allowed two runs or less. This team is. This team is playing at a high level right now. They are. And they're only getting better, right? And this is a team that they've won three straight, six of eight, and in their last 52 games, we're talking a significant stretch of the season, they're 27 and 25. Yeah, that's the number right there that I think should everyone should be excited about. I mean, mm-hmm. that is a that's a winning record, a yeah. winning record for the Baltimore Orioles. Something over, they haven't over had more than a third of the right. season. I mean, look, or if, just about a third of the if, season. If that's your record in 2020, you're looking at a potential playoff spot there. No, they, so, they would if they would have made would have been okay. Yeah, they would have so, made the playoffs if they were two games above 500. There you go. I in, mean, in 2020. That's that's the improvement they've made, and it's. It's clear. I mean, you look across the field, and it's just every position has been significantly upgraded from where it was two, three years ago, and that's that's a huge win for the Orioles. And even, I mean, look, it, this bullpen is a big part of the reason, and people overlook it probably because it's a bullpen, and they, they don't have, I guess, as much star um, star power and n- notoriety as a lot of the guys like Adley Rutschman do or Ryan Malcastle in this lineup. But look, some of these guys, they've claimed off waivers. You know, Joey Crable and, and CNL Perez, Jorge Lopez a few years ago. I mean, these guys are pitching well, and they're pitching far above you know our, our expectations, and it, it's been fun to watch, frankly. Yeah, and I look, I look at this team, and... At the beginning of last year, they swept the Red Sox, and I said, "Are we supposed to just believe this team is bad because oh, everybody I that says, it, says that they are? They're not going to the playoffs, but this isn't a bad team. No, they were a very bad team. They won fifty. They games ended up being bad yeah. last year. Uh, this is not a bad baseball team by no, by no. any stretch. And I look at the bullpen, and I and I'm hoping I can pull this up quickly, but the bullpen is one of the best units, not just in the American League, in all of baseball. Yeah. They're one of the best units in all of baseball. Let me uh let me get the splits here real quick. Well, as you were saying, they're 19 games away. 19 wins away from tying their record from last year at 52 games. I mean, that's that's insane they're if you mo- think they're, about they're it. They're a month ahead of last right, year's a month ahead of schedule. Uh, of last year's pace. The Orioles have the 1 2 3 4 they're the fifth best ERA in the American League. And the sixth best ERA wow. in baseball. They'd have the second best ERA in the National League behind the Braves. Bullpen They're, specifically? The bullpen okay. ERA is 308. Wow. And that's when you also think about the fact that they're not including Austin Voth's um, five and two thirds yeah. innings of two run ball yeah. in that. This, this unit, uh, over, the last two, over his last two outings, because right, right. technically they were starts, but he was a reliever starting a bullpen game. Sure. Right? This unit has been has been the saving grace for the Orioles. The offense yeah. the offense has been really good since the beginning of May, and now even when the offense hasn't been great, they they had they had ten hits on Thursday, but they only scored four runs. Yeah, right. And then they had five hits last night, and they they managed to win a ball game. Right, right. And then so even when the offense isn't firing on all cylinders, now the pitching's keeping them in ball games. This, right. That's that's what this brings me to. 
the Orioles' offense is good. The defense is good and getting better. The, I would uh, say the defense is excellent. The, I, I, I think it's been. Great. I was when I was going through. They seem to have an error almost every game. Uh, when I when I was going okay. through trying to figure out the the ERA with Adley Rutschman, there were only a handful of games where they didn't have an error. Okay, um, fair enough. But but the defense is getting better. The uh, the outfield defense has been. What they did on Thursday night, all three of those guys, and Austin Hayes, and we're going to talk about him a little bit later in the show, he is clicking on every possible yeah, He really cylinder. is. He, he is, really is. He, he, and we didn't even mention the fact he hit for the cycle. In a six-inning game, he did. in four bats on Wednesday night, he hit for the cycle. He did. Uh, absolutely. He comes up in a downpour in the sixth inning, and he rips a and all he needs is a double. And he rips a double. Like, yeah. he just, as soon as he hit it, oh my, I, I, yell at, I yell at my wife. I said, oh, my God. We were watching Stranger Things, and I was watching <laughs> on my phone. I was watching Austin Hayes on my phone, yeah. and I yelled, he did it! Before the ball even landed, mm. I yelled, he did it. Because there's no way he's going to third right. on that. He's right? not going to do that. But he's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. He's playing great defense. Mm. He, he is second in the majors in outfield assists. He throws the fastest outfield assist. Mm-hmm. Velocity wise, in like five years for the Orioles, and of the eleven all-time fastest outfield assists thrown by the Orioles, he has ten of them. Wow! He threw that. He threw that ball ninety-seven miles an hour to throw <laughs> that guy out at home plate. That's it's, it's a great tag by Rutschman too. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that's another thing. And people discount this a lot. And this is what I loved about Matt Weeters. When Matt Weeters was a part of this franchise, plays at the plate almost always went in the Orioles' favor mm-hmm. because Matt we- Matt Weeters. If the ball short hopped him, if he had to do a pick to his left or his right, he was catching that ball and he was applying a quick, thorough tag. Right. And that's what you're getting out of Adley Rutschman. And that's a difference that a good catcher makes. People aren't paying attention to that. Yeah. But a good catcher saves you runs in those situations. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I went off on Pedro Severino a few times on the show because I said, number one, he can't block a ball to save his life. Severino had this kind of laziness behind the plate where there, you know, if the ball wasn't exactly thrown right to him, mm-hmm. it was going to the backstop. Like, it was mm-hmm. 95% of the time. Rutschman, no. Rutschman's blocking the ball. I mean, you saw him last night um, get up out of the crouch and run to the ball to make sure a guy didn't get to second base. I mean, the guy is, he blocks pretty much everything. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of pass balls, wild pitches from him. And then, like you said, his I guess his presence just on these throws in and plays at the plate, he's so it's almost like he's so big back there that he's always gonna make that catch. He seems like he knows how to catch a ball off a short hop, you know, better than most catchers I've ever seen. And the guy is he's just a, a pro back there. He's a pro behind the plate. It's been it's that's helping out this so, team so much. So I was much. at the game on Sunday when they beat the right. Rays two to one. And there's a base hit, and it was in like the second or third inning. There's a base hit to right field. McKenna's playing right field. He gets the ball into Odor, and it's not a great throw to Odor. He had to leap up to catch it. Yeah. He catches it in one fluid motion, fires the throw home, right? Great play by Odor. It was. But Rutschman had to reach behind himself a little bit, mm-hmm. cross his body, catch the ball, and then throw that tag down. Right. And I yelled, what a tag. Yeah. Because the throw was good, not great. The tag was great. And that's that saved the game. The Orioles won that game by one run. They won it two to one. That saved the game for the Orioles that early on. Rutschman is one hundred percent a difference maker. He is one hundred percent a difference maker. And now with the bat coming on too, all those extra base hits. Yeah. This team, everything that he does on the field makes this team better. Yeah, across, no doubt across the board. And it's amazing because this is what they said he was going to do. Right. How many right. times have we seen a prospect that's supposed to do this and they don't? Well, right. It, it's and, and all look, the time. All and the time. It, and it's early. 
I get that it's early, but the fact that he's already doing this, and he's going to have his bumps along the way. He's going to have, he's going to go in, into cold stretches at the plate, but the defense is always going to be there. The arm is always going to be there, and the bat, the bat's already playing up. Right. It's it's been incredible, and it brings me to my next point. The Orioles' offense is, with the exception of like, they're not getting much out of shortstop, and they're not no uh, shortstop, second base, and third base are big offensive holes. They are for the Orioles on this team right now. And right? I, fr- I, fr- I I think they're really the only ones left at this point because you have Kyle Stowers coming up to replace Santander eventually, and mm-hmm. that's you. you and, and, and I'm telling you, Gunnar Henderson, and Jordan Westberg are going to be right. your starting left side of the infield on opening day next year. And the thing is, if it's not Stowers, say Stowers is a bust, which we we obviously don't know. But Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, John Rhodes. I mean, there's a number Kerstad, of guys there. Kerstad, who hit his first home run last he night. He did. So left field, pretty solidified, too. Yeah, and you look at the offense, and it's only getting better, and it's only going to continue to get better with the emergence of these other prospects. You look at how good the bullpen is. Mm-hmm. The only thing holding this team back right now is the starting pitching. And the starting pitching has been, been really good this past week. And guess what? They're 6-2 and two this past week. Yeah. Right? They've allowed five runs since Sunday. Wow. Five wow. runs. Yeah. Five runs. Uh, they, th- it's the starting pitching. And, and we're going to talk about this with Stan, and we're, we're going to get into all this in Orioles banter with three guests. I don't know how long that segment's going to be. But Matt Harvey threw six shutout innings the other day for, the, for Aberdeen. Apparently he looked really good down in the Florida, down in the Florida Coast League while, um, or in the Florida Compact, Complex League while he was um, getting himself geared up for the season. His suspension's up on Tuesday. Probably won't come up to help the Orioles eventually, uh, 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 immediately, but will be here eventually. Ten starts in a 4.18 ERA in the second half of the season last year. That that Matt Harvey 100% helps this team, mm-hmm. right? You look at the one missing piece, and the one missing piece is the starting rotation. Uh, and with D- and Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells are forming an incredible one-two punch right now. And now with Kramer, four starts, the the sample size is still really small. But it beats the alternative, and he's he's doing really well right yeah, now. It, it, Kramer's been excellent. You yeah, can't he, ask for more. He's been absolutely. He's allowed one earned run in his last twenty-one and third innings. Yeah. In his, uh, I'm sorry, last twenty in the third innings. Um, he's been he's been fantastic. Tyler Wells has been the 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 key cog in that rotation all season. He's been the most consistent pitcher in that rotation. So you, I, I I just have to wonder what the Orioles' plan is moving forward, and where they what this. What this hot stretch and the way they're playing this season means for this rebuild as it currently stands. With that in mind, we got to call Stan the Fan Charles. We're going to get him on the line here momentarily. Just want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. It is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. You can watch the show every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports or... You can listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with potential Orioles number one overall pick, Jackson Holiday. Recently re-signed Ravens edge rusher Stephen Means and baseball legend Nelson Cruz. Find those interviews and more in the Glenn Clark Radio, radio Week in Review feature right now at PressBoxOnline.com. <clears throat> We've got Stan the fans joining us here in just a moment. Stan and Glenn Clark are over at KNS Associates for a car wash today from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Car washes are $15, and all proceeds will go to the Hamden Family Center. 
Stan is on the line with us right now. Good morning, Stan. How's the car wash going? How are hey, you doing? Hey, the one, the one thing I didn't give you was the address. We're over at 3939 Falls Road. I've known the owner of uh, K&S since back probably in the mid-80s when I used to take my car here when I lived in the neighborhood. Uh, Amir has been an advertiser and a friend of mine and press boxes for, you know, like 35 years, something like that. And he's uh, done a lot in this neighborhood. The Hamden Family Center is going to benefit from today's car wash, along with um, the fact that they produce a calendar, the Boys of Hamden, which I think Glenn and I are going to pose nude in this year. That'll really <laughs> spike up sales. Oh, uh, but but the car wash is... I know you and Zach will run out and immediately buy copies of that. Absolutely. But um, all kidding aside, it's all for a good cause here. Plenty of room for car washes. We're here to 1 o'clock, uh, 3939 Falls Road, directly across the street from a small McDonald's uh, and just up and around the corner from the Royal Farms on 41st Street. 3939 Falls Road uh, and... Uh, it's money's going to a good cause. Car wash is just fifteen dollars. I'll step inside to to do our segment now. All right, sounds good. Now I I, I gotta ask Stan, are you yeah. and um, do they have? I know Glenn has to wear the hot dog speedo. Do they get you to do that too? I'm wearing my bathing suit. I wear a different type of speedo. I'm, I used <laughs> to be a swimmer actually. Until my uh, next surgery, okay. So I've got my I've got my longer speedos on. All right, I've got them on. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Glenn kept posing posting pictures of the speedo itself that he had to wear, and I think he was super nervous. But it seems like, based on social media, like he's having a good time. Oh, he's having he's having a good time. Yes, he is. Yes, Uh, he is. Now the Orioles are having a great time right now, Stan. They've won three games in a row. They've won six of their last eight. They've allowed just five runs in five games since last Sunday. And they are 27 and 25 over their last 52 games after that win over the White Sox last night. Let's talk about the, that, that win last night. Uh, Austin Voth goes three innings, one hit, one run, three strikeouts. He's allowed three earned runs in nine innings with the Orioles after allowing 21 earned runs in 18 and two thirds innings with the Nationals this year. Is that a product of? the Orioles analytics team and Chris Holt, or is it just, you know, him coming back to the mean? Um, I'm not quite sure of which it is, but again, I, I don't mean to keep tooting our horn. I think a lot of this has to do with the revival of the Orioles catching, mm-hmm. you know, that we actually have catchers that, that know how to th- know how to actually receive a baseball catch a baseball, and also perhaps maybe communicate better with Chris Holt with what they want to use for pitches. You know, calling the game is also a lost art, and uh, I would dare say that the catching, uh, Austin Wins was a fairly decent receiver, a catch-and-throw guy, you know, and, and probably had an idea back behind the plate. I don't think Chance Cisco knew what the hell he was doing, no. and Pedro Severino certainly didn't. Now, uh, is there is there uh, some improvement based on the work of Chris Holt? Of course there is, but you know pitchers that that throw um, and they know that the catcher is going to catch the ball, and and they trust what the catcher is putting down in terms of fingers. 
I don't think that can be underestimated with the kind of the revival of this pitching staff. Stan, how big is the drop-off from Adley Rutschman defensively to Robinson Chirinos? I, I, I think, you know, Chirinos has been around for a while, but some of his metrics show that he's not the best receiver behind the play. But how big that is that drop-off, and how much is it really important for the Orioles to have Rutschman catching as opposed to DHing in the lineup right now? Well, I, I certainly prefer him catching, but uh, because I think he's really a, you know, a uh, sort of a, what's it called, a uh, artiste back there. Uh but I think you you saw I can't I can't tell a lie just to fit the story that Anthony Benboom and Ro- Robinson Chirinos were doing a far better job they receiving were. and calling games sure. and buying into what what they what Chris Holt and the and the analytics people want to want to throw you know in different situations. So I I, I think it's important that he catch you know but. Um, you know, a young guy like that can can certainly catch three, four times a week. I don't know that I want him catching six times a week. Uh, his bat, I like the fact that, you know, they're using him wisely and not going to burn him out in the hot summer of Baltimore. Yeah, and what I noticed last week in particular, he played, Ad- Adley Rutschman was in the lineup eight games in a row at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he, he finally got a day off. But I think he caught five or six of those games. They've been trying to keep him in the lineup, and now his bat's getting even hotter. Uh, it's, it, he seems to be one of those guys where the more he plays, the better he gets. And I, I look at guys like Yadier Molina and Salvador Perez, who are catching 140 games a year, and they're two of the best catchers in baseball. Is that the kind of player you anticipate Adley Rutschman being throughout his career? I just think that those days of catchers catching 140, you know, I mean, I remember you used to have catchers that catch 150 games a year, you know. Uh, I, I just don't see the the wisdom in that. If you've got somebody that's pretty special back there right. uh, in the age of the designated hitter and now it's fully, you know, in, in all throughout baseball, I, I don't see anything wrong with uh, Rutschman maybe getting five to seven days off period during the season, but catching 125, 130, mm-hmm. you know, and DHing 25 times, you know, something like that. Now, does it worry you to have one catcher in the lineup catching and another catcher in the lineup DHing? Because if one of those guys gets hurt, you're going to lose your designated hitter. Is that any concern yeah. to you? Not, not really. Not really. Not really. You know, so you – in one given game, you know, with the way they move players around today, you have another catcher up the next day. Right. So you're talking about potentially losing the designated hitter in one game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, it doesn't. It doesn't scare me. Now, I do want to talk about what the Orioles have done against the White Sox specifically. They they throw a shutout on Thursday. They throw a one hitter yesterday. The White Sox. Whether it's Tony Larusa putting his foot in his mouth, or Tim Anderson quarreling with Josh Donaldson, or you know now they're throwing at Jorge Mateo for literally no reason after the Josh Harrison hit by pitch, and it seemed pretty uh, pretty egregious that that was a uh, an intentional. Well, Tony Larusa's teams have been that way since he first managed the Oakland A's back in. Right. And, I mean, since he first managed the White Sox back in '82, '83, '84. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's always been. Sort of a and and don't get me wrong, I had a great deal of respect for Larusa, and he was really one of the true innovators. At uh, he was one of the first guys that really got that bullpen usage down to to an art form. So uh, I don't want to 
just cast aspersions at him, but one of the things he's always been is sort of this macho guy, and that was ridiculous last night. Uh, uh, it, tar- targeting Jorge Mateo. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it 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 clears the it clears the benches. The White Sox end up losing that game, getting only one hit when the Orioles are going out there throwing a bullpen game in which Austin Volf is the starting pitcher for you. How hot is Tony La Russa's seat right now? Because I can't imagine this team is underperforming and he's right in the middle of it. Yeah, they're they're a mess right now. In fairness to Tony, he's got just a tremendous number of injuries. Yeah. Uh that have piled on. You know, he just got Tim Anderson back two or three days ago. Uh missing Eloy uh Eloy Jimenez uh, has been hurt for a second straight year. Uh, don't know when he's coming back. Uh, Angles hurt. Harrison's hurt now. Danny Mendek just um, he's out for uh, the year. ACL. He might be out for the season. Uh, Grandal's on the IL. Yeah. Uh, but and Liam Hendricks is on the IL. They're they're a freaking mess right now. The White Sox. You know, so do you think they, they don't should they don't give any indication? at being ready right now to put a run together, the kind of run together they're going to need. You know, now in fairness, not in fairness, but in reality, what are they, about eight games behind the Twins? The Twins are no great bargain. I think the best team in that division is the Indians. You know, their pitching is just starting to come around. They just got Fran Neil Reyes back after being on the IL for over a month uh, with a hamstring problem. Uh, he looks like he's lost some weight. Um, I think they're they're a dangerous team in that division. I don't think the White Sox have what it takes, you know. Yeah, and Lucas Giolito has receded, you know, from being on the verge of being a great pitcher. He's just as a, he's just as able to get a four four inning start with seven earned runs as he is seven innings of shutout baseball. You know. Yeah. It's it, it's a crapshoot, and how much? And they had they just got Lance Lynn back, who's going to obviously take a few starts to get up to par, and you know he's coming off of a knee surgery, so they're they're a total mess, you know. Does and that buy Larusa more time? The fact that I, they're I a mess right now with, with all the injuries. I don't I don't know what Jerry Reindorf's threshold of pain will be with Tony Larusa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he regrets having fired Larusa. You know the whole story. Yeah, he let yeah. he let his new general manager, who came out of the radio booth, Ken Harrelson, fire Larusa back in 1985. Larusa had a job within about a week managing the Oakland A's for 13 or 14 years. I think it was. Um, I don't think he wants to have a parting of the ways with Larusa, but I, I'm pretty confident that after this season. They'll move in a different direction, and maybe t- Tony will become Jerry Reindorf's, you know, consultant or whatever, or advisor, uh, some executive position with the White Sox. Yeah, I, I would imagine that, that some kind of move. And we were talking about this at the beginning of the show, Stan, that that managers these days are getting younger and younger and younger. And then you have Tony LaRusso, who's approaching 80 years old, and he's got a clubhouse filled with early to mid-20s uh, players. Now, l- let me ask you, at 70 years old, how do you think you would vibe in a clubhouse filled with a bunch of 20 to 25-year-old players? Um, look, Buck Showalter's 65, you know, 65, mm-hmm. and he, he vibes pretty good. I Fair. just think, remember, Tony LaRusso, Anything you do in life, if you don't do it for 10 or 11 years, 
the idea that you're going to come back and be as good as you are, especially a job that's as cerebral as as managing a baseball team and making all these decisions. I'm sure he's got good baseball people there. I think Jerry Naren's with him, and Joe McEwing is a, you know, he six seven years ago Joe McEwing was considered an up and coming managerial candidate. So I, I don't know what they're going to do. I'm sure the vibe is not real positive uh, under Tony out there. Okay, well, yeah, I, I just – I can't imagine, like you said, because he's been out for 10, 10 to 11 years before he came back last year, and he's that old-school guy, and you mentioned how he's always Mr. Macho and was like willing to throw at other players and, and whatnot. I, I just can't imagine that he's got a finger on the pulse of the franchise right now, especially with all the injuries and everything going on. And I, to me, it just seems like maybe he's – Misplaced. He's been dealt. Right in now. fairness to him, he's been dealt a tough hand. You know, he had that Eloy Jimenez injury last year, where he tore his pectoral muscle like four days before the season started, mm-hmm. and Luis Robert was already out. You know, for a long-term injury, right. he didn't come back until late July last year. So he hasn't had the best of luck, but uh, he's certainly that team. Uh, you know, and they must love Grandal as a catcher. You know, defensively, mm-hmm. yeah, he does very little for me overall. Grendel, I don't, yeah. I don't like him. The the offensive numbers have always been kind of weak. Oh, just for him, putrid. Other than the one year with San Diego, he's been putrid. Now, Stan, let's move back to the Orioles here and somebody who hasn't been putrid, and that's Jorge Lopez, who has been nothing short of outstanding this year. He's three and three. He's got 13 saves, which I believe is top six in the American League. A sparkling 0.75 ERA and 0.81 whip in 36 games. I keep hearing he's 29 years old and he's struggled until this year. The Orioles should should trade him while his value is at its highest. And I keep preaching relievers have a longer shelf life than any other player because they play less. Now, they may pitch more frequently than a starter, but they go one, maybe two innings at a time, and they all pitch. The good ones pitch to the late 30s, early 40s. Do you agree that the Orioles should trade Jorge Lopez this year while his, while his value is at its highest? I'm inclined to think that they should just keep him. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot on both sides of that. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things, if you pl- ever play fantasy baseball, you'll, you'll realize one thing, though, that this year's best closers, a lot of times within two years, they're nowhere on the board, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the durability of closers is, you know, and the consistency of closers can be a real wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you ask, would you trade them? Show me what the offer is. Right. You know, if I'm getting a triple A, if I'm getting a team, let's just say, I think the Red Sox have figured out their bullpen with Tanner Hope moving into the closers role mm-hmm. and, and sort of being the new Jonathan Papelbon there. Um, and I'm talking about a, a, a prospect that was a top rated starter who now, who then moved to be the closer um, and never went back to starting again. Mm-hmm. But um, it so. But let's just use them as an example. If they were really making a charge, maybe not at first place, but that they were going to get the number one wild card in the American League, which is still very possible for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they were really having trouble with the bullpen, and they wanted to offer you 
a top AAA prospect who you thought was really close, and I'm talking about only pitching here, okay? Mm-hmm. A top prospect that you think you can slot in as eventually a number two or three starter, and you get something else, international money, or uh, maybe a, a 19-year-old starter that's at A-ball that the Red Sox say, well, we can give him up because he's not coming up for three or four years. And you make a deal like that for Jorge Lopez, I might be all in on that. But mm-hmm. the, the team's got to really blow me away to pry him away because, A, he's not expensive right now, and he really just seems to be touching um, he, he looks like he's so confident right now right. that he is moving into that uh, artiste role uh, where he really understands uh, that, that the difference when a hitter's only facing him one time, he has, he has all the leverage in the world. Oh, yeah. You know? He goes out there and he just attacks hitters, Stan. And, and, and it's yeah. almost like he's daring them to hit him because he knows that they can't. And yeah. he's just been he's been so damn good this year and and I'm with you Sam. I'm not trading him unless I'm getting a major league quality starting a major league ready quality starting pitcher in return and I'm and I'm looking at when the Orioles traded Eduardo Rodriguez to the Red Sox for Andrew Miller. I need a guy who I who's going to come out there and pitch to about a three and a half ERA and win fifteen plus games for me. That's yeah. the kind of pitcher that's that, a, that's that I want to exa- That's a good example, but today. Keep in mind with with what Lopez makes, you know, and how inexpensive he is right now. Yeah, that's that adds to his value too. So I'd have it to does. get I'd have to get a, a that's a good comp in terms of Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, mm-hmm. because he was really just on the verge of being major league ready. I'd have to get two pieces like that. I'd have to get a second pitcher that you squeeze out of them, or maybe one a really uh, a Latin prospect that uh, Co- Kobe Perez knows about and might know about, and they say, hey, they're willing to throw this in, you know, because that's how you turn your organization. When you make trades, you better the organization for the next five to seven years, not just one or two years, but you're dealing with a team that's got a totally different motivation in that, in that they are playing for this year trying to get better so they can beat the Yankees. That's, well, I, that's a good comp, though, and, the Eduardo Rodriguez for Andrew Miller. And, and, and I'll tell you, Stan, that I trust Mike Elias to get the most out of any kind of trade he's going to put forth. I, I, I look at the uh, Andrew Cashner trade in 2019, and one of those players that he got in return was Elio Prado, who's hitting over 300 at Delmarva right now. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I and I, I look at the return that we got for that the Orioles got for Dylan Bundy and for Alex Cobb and uh, you name the player. The Orioles got a solid return on that. Uh, I, I trust in Michael Elias if he does make the trade, it's going to be the best possible trade that he could have gotten. Uh, so. Well, and the, and the best the, the best thing that a, a Michael Elias has, he's got the, the he's got the ability to walk away from it and say, "Hey, I got Jorge Lopez for another two years." And I don't, I don't really have to pay him an awful lot, right. so I'll I'll fold up my tent 
you go find the closer somewhere else as good as Jorge Lopez, you know. Exactly, exactly. Now, just a few more minutes here with Stan the Fan, Charles, on a beautiful Saturday in Baltimore on the bat around. Stan, Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells are forming a formidable one-two punch in the rotation. How big is it for the Orioles to have these guys going back-to-back? And if they continue this, does it alter the Orioles' plans for free agency in the offseason with regards to pitching? When you think about the fact that you're going to have Wells, you're going to have Kramer, you're going to have um, Grayson Rodriguez in that rotation next year, does it alter what they try to do as far as going out and getting starting pitching in the offseason? Yeah, I, 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 no, I don't think it alters it at all. I, I don't think the Orioles were going to end up being huge players mm-hmm. in the free agent market. You know, they're not going to go out and and pay, you know, $20 million for a pitcher, you know, the kind of pitcher you'd want. Right. But there's no reason that next year they could not add somebody that's uh, actually – better than Jordan Lyles for about Jordan Lyles price tag. Mm-hmm. You know, there's literally no reason that they couldn't pick up a pitcher and pay like $9 million for two years on somebody that they, their analytics say that they can fix a little bit. So I, I think that they will um, definitely get, you know, one, at least one more pitcher. Again, I don't know what their thinking is on, you know, at the end of the day, I love the concept of what they did with Jordan Lyles, and he is paying off in terms of most of the time he's giving you six to seven innings. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you look at his stats, and there's still five ERA, right. you know, and and he's not, he's just not, you know. But but would I take him back on one more year with where the Orioles are right now? Yes, I would definitely take him for one more year, you know. Well, yeah, and if they and if they came back to me and said, "Stan, we just announced that we're bringing Jordan Lyles back for two years," I wouldn't have any major problem with that. I think he's a, I think he's an okay major league pitcher, uh, and on a young staff, he he does take some pressure off. But you do hope to have John Means back at some point next year. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully by yeah. late May or June. Apparently, he's again, progressing very I, well. What's that? Apparently, he's progressing very well. Good, good. The the problem with John is I've never bought into him as a quality starter that was going to give you potentially. I know everything's changed now since the pandemic, mm-hmm. where you used to want your starter to give you 190 to 200 innings. That that mark for the next two or three years might be more like 150. Right. But nothing John Means has done has shown me that. Yeah, I can count on him for 150 innings. I'll tell you, you what, know. though. If they don't need him to be the ace, he has a, a, a spot in this rotation where he can well, be no a very effective. He's got a spot in the a, rotation, a, a, but again, what's to, what's to say he doesn't have another injury? Right, you know, exactly. Again, he, he's, had, he's had a prolonged absence in every each year. of his seasons. Every you year. Know. You're absolutely right. Now, yeah. before we let you go, Matt Harvey, six shutout innings for Aberdeen. His um, His... Um, suspension is up on Tuesday. I imagine yep. he'll go to Norfolk's rotation before the Orioles bring him along, but I think it's uh, only a matter of time before he's in this Orioles rotation. People talk about how bad his numbers were last year, but they don't talk about the fact that in 10 second-half starts last year, he was 3-4 and four with a 4.18 ERA, and that version of Matt Harvey can 100% help the Orioles this year. What impact do you see Matt Harvey having on the Orioles this season? I wouldn't say he's going to have an impact. I would say he he is definitely 
as this season has worked out, and now that we know that Kyle Bradish is on the you know IL right. for at least fifteen days with a shoulder strain, um, he's uh, he's definitely going to factor in as a starting pitcher with the Orioles, you know, through the second half of the season. And, and it know. goes to show. I you. would imagine. I would imagine he would probably make two more minor league starts. And if uh, and again, I'm not expecting him to have shutout performances at AAA. But if he if they're reasonable, I think he'll be up just sort of before the All Star break. Yeah, and you mentioned you've mentioned on the show time and time again how you were in spring training and the guy said that he wanted to have eight, nine, ten, eleven starting pitching candidates, and you see why because whether that it's was a- that was Billy Epler about four four years ago. Mm-hmm. I was driving around listening to a, a pregame show, and he's talking about on XM radio, and he's talking about how. He's disappointed that he's only going into the season with nine or ten starting pitchers. And I'm going, what? And sure enough, like a month into that season, he was down to like six. And right. all those other guys were hurt. Right. That's my that's my one thing. Mike Elias, as the stakes get a little higher, and you really think you're close to, to being relevant and competitive again, you can't go in with the mistake they made this year. And I'll give them, I'll give them some room, you know, and, and, and make the excuse that, okay, we didn't think we were going to compete, but they can't just try and patch it together during the season. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm not saying you get 10 starting pitchers that each make $10 million. You know what I'm saying? But you need them in the organization where you're getting your next arm from. And they clearly, have not had answers this year. That's why we got an Austin vote, uh, you know, Austin vote. That's why you get, uh, you know, um, uh, so many bullpen games, you know, now look last night, the bullpen game worked to a charm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, they find themselves in quite a predicament, whether it's injuries or ineffectiveness. And when you talk about the ineffectiveness, it's, um, you know, Bruce Zimmerman getting sent down because he just wasn't good. And then you look at Zach Lowther, who is terrible at AAA, and they were maybe depending on him. And Alex Wells has been hurt and Bradish. And yeah, Means. None, of, none of the guys that they had in the organization, Bowman, Lowther, Alexander Wells, have panned out at all. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they definitely. Hey, I just want to remind uh, folks we're at uh, KNS Associates at Falls Road. 3939 Falls Road. The uh, car wash is going on here and will be going on to 1 o'clock. Car washes are just $15 with all the proceeds going to the Hamden Family Center. Okay? Absolutely. Sam, what do you have coming up this week? Uh, Luke Jackson's going to be doing the um, doing the Zoom with me. It's just going to on Monday. Ross Grimsley has to do some travel. Out for the West Coast, so Luke and I will just be talking baseball amongst ourselves. And then uh, Thursday, we've got Gary Stein and I have uh, DP Smith the third, who has just come out with a book on Johnny and Ninus called The Golden Arm Gentleman, uh, and that's what we've got this week. All right, sounds excellent, Stan. We'll be sure to tune in, and we will talk. Oh, we don't have the bat around Stan for the next two weeks because that's of the right. Move. Yep, we're, so, we're in the process of moving the whole office, the kit and caboodle, out to Baltimore County. Absolutely. Yep. So, so Stan, we will be talking to you on Saturday, July sixteenth, the day before the major league draft. So get get so bone up on your all prospects. All right. right. Yep. yep. All right. Yep. Have a great weekend. All right. Talk to you guys. See you. 
That was Stand the Fan, Charles, who has two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Thursday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. It was a busy week for Stan this week. He and Ross hosted the Major League Baseball Roundtable Show. And he and Gary chatted with Johns Hopkins legend Kyle Harrison about his new role with the PLL as they return to Homewood Field. And he also called up with Maryland Sports Executive Director Terry Hasseltine. Find those shows under the Videos tab at Facebook.com slash pressbox sports or at pressboxonline.com slash video. Uh, Ross is off this week, so Stan and Luke Jackson are back for a Major League Roundtable on Monday. And then Stan and Gary Stein will have D.P. Smith the third with his new Johnny Unitas book on the show on Thursday. Tune in for that and more with Stan. Sounding off with Zach Goodman, we have like three minutes to do sounding off, but Zach's got a good one for you today. I'll make it quick. Look, I, I've talked about it before in sounding off and before on the show that I've always been a bit perplexed by the way the Angels operate. They are not, I, I would say, not the most traditional team in a lot of senses. And they did something this week. They sent down Reed Detmers, a guy they took in the first round a few years ago in the draft, a guy that has a lot of potential to be a really good starting pitcher one day. And he's a guy who threw a no-hitter this year, earlier in May. Um, he'd been pitching kind of up and down throughout the year. He hasn't been great. His ERA is 4.66. He had a 1-1-0-3 whip, which is actually pretty good. Really good. Um, you know, he, his numbers overall, he wasn't striking out a ton of guys. He was walking maybe more than he should be but overall the numbers are pretty serviceable for a guy that is pitching for the Angels because we know the Angels have had some pitching struggles and yeah they've got Otani they've got um, some of the some other guys who have pitched pretty well in their rotation this year who have been a lot better uh, than Reed Detmers has been to this point but I think I'm, I'm trying to tie this back to the Orioles in a way because I'd like to see the Orioles Instead of optioning these guys as soon as they start to to fail and flounder a little bit, to let them let them struggle and let them work out things at the major league level, and I think it's a mistake to option a guy like Reed Detmers, especially when you're the Angels and you don't really have that many great options. Um, otherwise, that you're going to bring up and are, are going to pitch, you know, that drastically better than what Reed Detmers is doing. I think it's important to let your prospects work through things at the major league level, especially a guy throwing no hitter well, this they're, year. They're doing it with Kyle Bradish. And they're doing it with Kyle Bradish, and I want to see that continue. I think that teams should let these guys work these things out because he threw a no hitter so clearly the guy's got the talent to work at the major league level and the numbers really weren't that bad so I think this was a wow. bit of an overreaction by the Angels and you know if they have someone better if they if they went out and made a trade and they got a, a number two or a number three or even a number one starter and said that's who we're replacing Reed Detmers with I think it make more sense but if you're going to replace him with some guy that we don't know, you know, a lot about, or maybe he hasn't been all that successful, why not just let Reed Detmers keep pitching and work through his struggles? That's that's my point. No, there. yeah, and I get that. And prior his last two starts, he's given up nine runs and eight and two thirds. Yeah, it's not innings, good, right? No. But but prior to that, he had gone, he had three scoreless outings in his previous five yeah. starts. But you look at the numbers a little bit closer, and he threw seventy eight pitches in four and two thirds innings on May fourth, one hundred eight innings. 108 pitches on that May 10th start with the no-hitter in, yeah. nine, in nine innings. Then he goes 61 pitches in three and two-thirds on May 17th. Um, 86 pitches in four and a third on June 2nd. 85 pitches in four and a third on June 8th. 83 pitches in three and two-thirds on, Ju- on the pitch July efficiency. 15th. Right. right, and then 95 pitches in five innings on June 21st. As I said, too, so, many, too many walks at the moment. For I, I Look, the... the and maybe they're trying to salvage their season because they got off to such a hot, yeah. hot start. They have this talent in their lineup. They want to do everything they can. But if you're not replacing him with somebody better... Right, all right. And, 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 uh, maybe they will, but and, I, it and, remains to be seen. And they view themselves in a different light than the Orioles do. The yeah. Orioles are viewing themselves as a team that's coming out of a rebuild and they're sure. still trying to figure things out and they want to know what they have mm-hmm. in 
Kyle Bradish. Sure. The Angels are never going to be in a rebuild because they have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Right. Right. They're never going to be in a rebuild, so they're viewing themselves as maybe he's not helping us win ball games right now. So we right. got to figure out if we have somebody else who can help us. Even still. I agree with your take because the guy has the stuff. He's a former yeah. first-round pick. He threw a no-hitter last month, and now he's down at the minor leagues because he's had two bad starts in a row. Right, right. You know, it's- maybe they just want to work on his efficiency. I get it. I, I see the I see the upside in that. But then again, you're ruining a guy's confidence by putting him in AAA. I, I, I don't love the move by the Angels. Yeah, no. I, a lot of things that the Angels do with their pitching is befuddling and head-scratching for sure. we got to catch our first break when we come back from ESPN. Baseball insider Kylie McDaniel will join us to talk Orioles prospects and the draft. That and more next on The Battle Round. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy our award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings. Or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $7.99 burgers on Mondays and $6.99 nachos on Thursdays. Dine in and let us serve you or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. I'm Griffin Bass, and I have the extraordinary, mind-blowing, and life-affirming pleasure of being the new producer for the absolute funniest, smartest, and most handsome sports host in all of Baltimore. Wait a second. Glenn, I'm working for you, not Jeremy Kahn. If you're not listening to Glenn Clark Radio, here's what you're missing. He's Coach Kevin Willard. Glenn, thanks for having me. Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Mr. Marcus Williams, who's now with us. Man, I appreciate it. Happy to be on. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Watch Glenn Clark Radio at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and listen live at pressboxonline.com slash radio or anytime on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or anywhere you get your podcasts. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point. Boulevard. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org.
we are back live here on the batter on another beautiful Saturday in Baltimore. I want to remind you that today's show, the first hour, has been brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland, which is the best place to be for the playoffs and all of your upcoming big events. Bet on every sport with 61 self-service kiosks open 24-7 and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. You can watch and bet on UFC 276 next Saturday night in the FanDuel Sportsbook. So make sure you reserve your spot today by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. That's events at sportssocialmd.com. Really excited to talk to our next guest from ESPN. He is a baseball insider. He is Kylie McDaniel, and he's live with us now on the Bat Around. Kylie, it's Paul. It's Zach. Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, we are thrilled to have you on. And the Orioles, they have a lot of prospects that are – Tearing the cover off the ball, none bigger than Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg, who have hit the ground running at AAA. Gunnar Henderson already has as many walks this year in 62 games as he had in 105 last year. More walks and strikeouts in both AA and AAA this season. Has yet to face a pitcher in either league that is younger than him, and he's younger than the next youngest player in, in AAA by nine months. Do the Orioles have a superstar on their hands in Gunnar Henderson? Yeah, I mean, they might. He, uh, I mean, I remember seeing him going back to his uh, junior year of high school, and he always looked like a guy that, you know, checked all the boxes, which, you know, you could argue is as many as you know, 20 hitters in any high school class at any given time. And then as you get closer to the draft, you're like, all right, there's like 10, 12, maybe 15 guys that can do it. And then they hit pro ball, and it's like, all right, it's like eight, maybe seven guys, and then second or third year pro ball, it's like, all right, there's like three dudes that might do it. And he's, he's still, still there standing, even as the 42nd overall pick. And I think he was seen as like a, you know, 30 to 40 overall kind of talent. Um, yeah, I mean, being that age, essentially being the age of a college junior and putting up, like you're saying, like either even to more walks and strikeouts, uh, plate discipline in the upper levels, uh, doesn't really happen. So, uh, and these numbers also stabilize pretty quickly. Like it usually takes about roughly how many, uh, plate appearances he's had in AAA 75 plate appearances. That's roughly how long it takes to stabilize. So like that is how good he is right now. Now that could change going forward. The league could adjust to him. Maybe he's one of those guys that just tears apart AAA and then goes to the big leagues and is significantly worse and then has to, you know, ride that shuttle back and forth trying to sort of dial that in. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang superstar on him, but, uh, I will say, uh, this is not for, uh, for ESPN.com yet, but I actually went through last night and redid my top. 100 because so many guys have uh, graduated and I did an article recently saying who's the top prospect in the minors and he was probably the best guy that I didn't mention in the six or eight guys that were in that conversation and right now I've got him at 13th wow. so I mean, he's right th- he's right there with you know Robert Hassel Jordan Walker Nolan Gorman Grayson Rodriguez is just ahead of him uh, Lawler and Meyer the two best players from last year's draft like he's in that conversation with those sorts of guys just behind that sort of Volpe, Rutschman, Francisco Alvarez, Corbin Carroll, Daniel Spino, all those dudes that everyone thinks are the best. He's like one notch behind them. And I think I had him like 70 or 80 going into the year. So that kind of shows you like how much progress he's made in just this, just this part of the season. Well, actually, you have him on quite a meteoric rise. I was looking at your February rankings. You had him ranked 96th on the top 100 yeah. behind teammates Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, Colton Kalzer, and D.L. Hall. Now you're saying that you had him ranked as high as 13th when you were going through last night. Now you pair him with Jordan Westberg. Westberg has mashed since getting to Norfolk. He went 5-for-6 last night. Uh, he leads the entire organization with 14 home runs. He's slash, he's hitting over 400 at AAA. Uh, how far is he behind the top 100 prospects list? Because he hasn't been on any top 100 prospect list that I've seen. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, if you redid one from top to bottom right now, he would have to be on it, which, again, I went through that process last night. It just happened to be uh, right before we, we talked, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I ended up with him in his 70s somewhere. Okay. Uh, I've kind of consistently been the highest guy on him. I think in the draft, I had him about 10 spots higher than anybody else did, mm-hmm. and the reason was not just because of the player that he was at Mississippi State uh, when they took him 30th overall. is because like he didn't do showcase baseball. He didn't have a ton of offers. He committed to Mississippi State like late in his junior year, which is like, that's when the scouts come in. Like, most of these guys that go to the really big schools, they're committing as like eighth graders, freshmen, maybe sophomores. And he was way behind that curve. So there was, and he was always big and toolsy. So you put those two things together. You're like, oh, this guy has untapped potential. He is younger than his age suggests in terms of baseball experience. And he also is like big and has upside that even if he did, uh, you know, do the circuit and all those sorts of things, he still had more to tap into. And then at Mississippi State, he continued getting better each year. And so I looked at that trajectory and I was like, all right, this guy's like a potentially a big, big league shortstop with power and a good enough approach just by the weakest part of his game is he swings a little too much, but he's so good. He can get by with it, and then he's gone to Pro Bowl, and you can see his numbers. Like he's been above league average at every level, mm-hmm. and now the part of the problem that some of these college players have is they, you know, go to A ball at twenty one. They're already behind the eight ball in terms of age. Like the high school guys are sort of age appropriate, nineteen or twenty for low A. Uh, he signed and went to low A as a twenty two year old right after the draft. So he's like a couple years behind those guys. He's now in Triple A at twenty three, which is the quote correct age to be like a real prospect at a level. And as you mentioned, like he's torching it. So. He also, I think, similar to Henderson, was like a little behind the eight ball just because, like, I mean, Henderson had like, you know, almost a 30% strikeout rate like last year in eight right. ball. Like, he, he has gotten a lot better. Westberg also, like, has sort of had the same numbers at every level and just keeps getting promoted to where now he is, you know, like I said, the appropriate age at the level and continues doing that kind of performance. And the first 14 games in AAA, he's already hit five home runs. So right. you could argue he's actually ahead of that pace now. So, yeah, I mean, the question would be, is it shortstop or is it third base? Is he going to be one of those guys that gets to the big leagues and swings too much and has a bunch of strikeouts and then has to settle in? Is he more of a low-end everyday guy as opposed to an above-average everyday guy? Like, that's the question there. Um, but, yeah, he also has taken a huge step forward, which is obviously a great uh, um, a great move for the system because once Rutschman uh, – uh, once he graduates, like they won't be the number one process, the number one system in baseball anymore because there's so much value on that one player. Right. Uh, but they'll still be securely in the top five. Well, there you go. And th- th- you mentioned Jordan Westbrook's plate discipline. His on base capabilities are lacking compared to Gunnar Henderson. Now, look, he did walk 60 times last year, which was more than Gunnar Henderson did. And he's got 29 walks this season. They're not up there with Gunners right now, but is his on base cap- capabilities still good enough? Yeah, I think he'll be one of those 240, 250 type hitters uh, that can get on base at, you know, sort of a league average level, whatever that is, 330 for 340 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's got a chance. I mean, the tools are there to hit 20, maybe 25. And if you don't have a great defensive shortstop, you can play shortstop. If you have like a plus defensive shortstop, then you slide him over to third base. And that's, like I said, like that's at least a low and everyday guy, probably more than that, uh, depending exactly on how that play discipline translates, because I think he is the type of player. Uh, even more than uh, Gunnar Henderson uh, has shown this year, the kind of guy that's like looking for a ball to hit. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, like I said, like those guys don't, uh, they don't have any pushback in terms of having trouble and having to make adjustments until they get to the big leagues because they're so physically talented. Like we've seen, you know, some guys like Acuna come up, have a trouble, have trouble for a month and they figure it out. And some guys right. like Luis Robert are not quite as good as you thought they would be because they swing too much. And then there's guys like Lewis Brinson that are just like the entire thing falls apart. Like they just demolish AAA and they can't really play in the big leagues. And so when guys swing too much in AAA, no matter how good their numbers are, I was to point this out, like there's a chance they're totally nothing. And there's a chance that this is like a blip that you forget about a couple years from now as they've been in five straight all-star games. Like both of those things are possible. 
essentially depending on how 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 much tools like uh, how much upside there is, how special they are, and so you can see why you know Acuna is at one end of the spectrum, and then somebody like Lewis Brinson can be at the other end. But like Lewis Brinson was a top ten prospect in baseball at one point, so it's mm-hmm. not it's not the easiest thing to predict. And even within the Orioles, you look at all you have to do is look at a guy like DJ Stewart, his former first round pick, who's hitting three fifty at AAA right now. But when he gets to the big leagues, he can't hit his weight. The gap is just so big between AAA and the majors, and I think you're exactly right when it comes to stuff like that. Now, with Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson, the Orioles have huge offensive holes at second base, third base, and shortstop, for that matter, in their lineup. Is there Now, Jorge Mateo's defense has been so good that he's not going anywhere. Is there a chance that we see either or both of these players in the big leagues at some point this season? Certainly a chance. I think the best guide would be Adley Rushman, obviously, as the franchise player who I think was big league ready last year. I mean, that's obviously mm-hmm. like sort of an amorphous concept. Like what does big league ready mean? Cause a guy could, again, could be demolishing triple a come up and be terrible. Was he ready? Probably not, but you didn't know that he's demolishing triple a, what he's supposed to do. Right. Um, so at that point, like he, he very reasonably could have come up last year, probably would have been fine. And then came up the sort of magic amount of days into this year's season. Uh, and that was, you know, somewhat cynically like a play to get an extra year of service time. So you use that as a guy, like this is the franchise guy. This is the best prospect in baseball. And they did that to him. Do you think they will then do that with Westberg and Henderson who like probably weren't expected to get to triple A this quickly and be this good? Mm-hmm. Could they say the same things I'm saying? Like, well, we don't know if this guy's going to immediately hit in the big leagues and we get extra year of service and we can just like let him finish the year at triple A and they'll probably, you know, either like, you know, get a knock, like miss three weeks with like, you know, some sort of hamstring thing or have a bad streak for a month. And uh, the thing I keep coming back to, there is a non-cynical approach to this, which is I remember talking to Reds officials doing their list uh, like five or six years ago. And I was talking to them about some of their prior prospects and they were, you know, bringing up, you know, Devin Mesoraco and Jay Bruce and all these guys. And I was w- walking through those guys with them and they go, yeah, the problem with Jay Bruce, he never failed the minor leagues. I was mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? And he was like, he was so good that he like could not be challenged even by triple A pitching. And then he got to the big leagues. And the first time he ever had like an 15 week or, you know, whatever it was, was in the big leagues with like reporters asking questions after every game. And he hadn't failed on a baseball field in his entire life until he had all these people asking questions every time he was bad. And he was on like the cover of the program when you walk in the stadium and all that kind of thing. And he's like, I don't know if that affected like who he became as a big leaguer that like that sort of changed his trajectory. But he's like, I wish we could have left him in the minors for another year and have him had a bad month in triple A and have learned to deal with that without anyone being like in his face and having to carry the team so like there is a non-cynical way to look at this and be like maybe these guys should just do the whole year triple a they seem like they're ready right now i don't think anyone's going to be super upset if they wait you know until the second half of this year and then again if you do the cynical approach it would be you know exactly 15 days into next year Right, right. And that that brings me to my next question, which is with Henderson and Westberg, are we looking potentially at the Orioles starting left side of their infield in 2023 on opening day? Or is it going to be one of those things, like you said, where they wait 15 days to call those guys up? I mean, if they haven't come up by opening day, they're not coming up until 15 days in. And yeah. the good news is that's not that much time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but yeah, the bad news is it's like not a great, uh, not a great uh, commentary on where we are with baseball right now. Right. Uh, and I would also throw in Kobe Mayo is you know maybe a year, two years behind them. Uh, mm-hmm. He could also get thrown into that infield and uh, continue to solve problems. As you know, I'm guessing Jorge Mateo is not going to be the shortstop on the next Orioles playoff team. But yeah. you know, maybe. Now with Kobe Mayo. The power is light tower, right? But the batting average has been the 230s, 240s all year. Uh, Does he have the potential to get that hit tool up where he's also hitting for average as well as the power, or is that just kind of who he is, a low average, high, high home run type of guy? 
Uh, he is the same kind of guy as Westberg in that he is a 6'5 guy that has long arms, and I want to say Westberg 6'3, maybe 6'4, mm-hmm. uh, that likes to swing. So it's it's never going to be he's going to hit 300 every year. He's not that kind of guy. Uh, I wouldn't pay as much attention to his average. His BABIP is down over 100 points from last year, mm-hmm. uh, and I would say it should maybe be down like 40 points from last year. Okay. So he should probably be hitting about 260 right now. His strikeout rate is, and walk rate and isolated power are all about the same. So I think he's meeting expectations. He's also, uh, again, going back to the age thing I was mentioning before, he was 19 in A-ball last year. He's 20 in high A this year. He's a little young for each level. So right. The performance is going to be a little below the level you think it'll be. Uh, he was almost 60% better than average last year in A-ball. And like I said, his underlying numbers are not that different. So he's only 6% above average in high A right now. So I would say he's another guy that is 250 to 260, you know, 330 to 340 on base. He's got a chance to 30 home runs. And his question is because he's already 6'5", like 220, is he can probably stick at third base, but he might then turn into a corner outfielder where it's, you know, Tim and uh, Kyle Stowers maybe are the, are the corner outfielders on the good team. And obviously with Westberg and, and Henderson, like maybe you don't need him at third base, so that's not like the, the biggest problem in the world. But like currently he projects as a third baseman, but I think, again, because of the kind of player he is and the age that he is, I think he'll probably need the whole year at high A, maybe a little bit of double A, and then maybe the end of next year, we're having this conversation about him, and then I would say probably early 2024 is probably when it reasonably makes sense. And I imagine that they wouldn't want him want to move him to first base just because he's got such that 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 high ranking with his arm, right? He's got a, he's got a almost an elite arm uh, over there at third base. So you, you're saying that they probably want to keep him either at third base or in a corner outfield spot because of that arm. Yeah, you can't rule out first base when you have guys that big. Oftentimes, they even if they are fast, they don't have a good first step, and that's often what you're looking for in a corner outfielder. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you have the hands for third base, you then have the hands for first base. Uh, I would guess they try to do right field, left field first, um, mm-hmm. just because first base is typically where you're, you know, you're you're very below average athletes go, and Mayo is a better athlete than that. But you also never know where three years from now is he six five two fifty? Like you know, sometimes that those sorts of things happen where it's like, oh okay, well you know, Miguel Sano was seen as a shortstop, but he was eighteen, and now you look at him today and you're like, well that's hilarious, and you never thought he could play. <laughs> shortstop it's like well Miguel Cabrera was a shortstop in the big leagues at one point so right. you know these things happen when you talk about you know kids that young kids that that size you can't just assume like oh he'll definitely be able to play third it's like yeah if he can't it's okay uh but yeah it's on that spectrum of is he below average at third is he good enough to play left or right is he first does he end up being a DH because every spot's filled by the time he gets there like all those things are on the table it's just it's corner guy with power and you sort of wonder how much contact he'll make but I think he'll be fine yeah now uh, another guy, another infield prospect that we're signing during the international signing period, and that's Cesar Prieto, 22-year-old signing out of Cuba. Um, all he does is hit, and he's shown more power this season. Have you gotten eyes on him? What, and if so, what have you seen from him, and what is his major league uh, potential uh, for the Orioles? I haven't seen him this year, but I saw him let's see, two, maybe three years ago mm-hmm. when the Cuban national team came to play college Team USA. So oftentimes that Cuban national team will be a bunch of like 20 to 30 year old players that play in the Cuban league that are never coming over. Mm-hmm. And then a handful of like 18, 19, 20 year olds. So like Yasmani Tomas, uh, Cesar Prieto, uh, there's been a number of guys that signed for a, like a bunch of money that are on that team. And every year you're sort of surprised like, Oh, there's another 17 year old. That's like better than all the 28 year olds on this team. And they're beating up on our 21 year olds. Like, Oh, this is fun to watch. And then some years the team's just terrible because everybody just left. So it's all old guys. Uh, but Prieto was the best guy on the team. Uh, he was, I believe 19 and he's now 23. So that might've been four years ago go uh and the tools are still kind of the same where it's like second base he's fine he's a good runner uh his sort of range and hands are fine for seconds and he's a little guy so you know he's moved well enough that i think he'll be fine at second base not a ton of power it's 15 maybe if everything goes well but it's like you said it is the back control the contact good enough at bats where you're like all right maybe this guy's gonna hit 290 and get on base at 350 
and hit, you know, 12 to 15, uh, is that an everyday guy? He's like, yeah, probably. Maybe it's one of those Tommy Lostella guys where depending on what kind of season he's having, he's an everyday guy or one of those Marwin Gonzalez type of dudes that just like plays all over the field, like, you know, somewhere in that general area. And then he sort of obviously disappeared for a little while uh, and then signed and is already in double A and is, you know, has a really good um, uh, contact rate. And like you said, he's hitting for a little more power than you would think, but he's also old for the level, which sometimes right. can happen. You can just sort of, you know, bully mistake pitches and hit him into homers. I haven't seen him yet this year, but I would imagine from what everything I've you know seen on video, uh, they still that same guy where it is, you know, if it really works out, it's a low and everyday guy. If it, you know, it goes just okay, then you've got like a really good utility guy that's, you know, probably fits second base left field, uh, DH, like that kind of area. And then if it's like terrible, he's just some guy that like bounces around the 40 man is one of those guys that's like on waivers and that kind of thing. But he's getting pretty close to being like waiver quality already for a guy that signed for less than a million dollars, which uh, again, I was surprised when I saw what she signed for. I was like, I'm pretty sure we know that guy could hit. Like right. that should be over a million dollars, but it was not. Um, now you mentioned he's a little old for the league that he's in. Another guy who's a little old for the league that he's in by no fault of his own is Heston Kerstad. Now he was drafted number two overall by the Orioles in the 2020 draft comes down with myocarditis. He missed all of last year and then he tears a hamstring in spring training misses the first 12 weeks of the season this year. He's finally made his professional debut and he's hit the ground running. Now it's Delmarva, which is low A, which is a step down for a college drafted player. Um, but he's hitting 405, hit his first home run last night, got on base three more times last night. What have you seen from Heston Kerstad? Does he probably finish this year at high A or double A? And when can we expect a major league debut for a prospect who's already 23 years old? Yeah, the as you mentioned, the the sort of standard path has been sort of blown up at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything we've seen coming back is like positive. So you kind of assume like, all right, let's like tentatively hope that like he can get back on the path that you thought he would be on and just be obviously be like a couple years behind. Uh, yeah, I would imagine he probably at least goes to high A this year. Uh, something I learned actually while working for the Orioles, but some other teams too, is the process of like switching minor league teams. If like you've been there for a month or two and like have an apartment and all that kind of thing is like, much more of a disruption than I think people realize it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would imagine he is not like set up in Delmarva for I'm going to be here for the next four months. So right. I think moving is a little more expected. Um, but yeah, I don't think the idea is like, let's get him in pro ball for the first time in a couple of years, getting over all these things. Let's move him three times during the year and see what happens. So right. now it's probably more of a plan where it's, we'll do low A, let's get your feet under you, put you in a level where we know you can succeed. And we'll push you at high A. And then next year we can be more aggressive and do like a triple A big leagues. If everything goes perfectly. And if not, then, you know, we'll go a little bit slower. I would imagine that's what it is. Uh, I had him eighth, ninth. I want to say in that draft class, I didn't, I didn't love the pick at the time because I thought they were dipping a little too far down right. um, to get savings. I think there were some other options that were better. Some of those other options are not doing great either, <laughs> so maybe it wasn't that big of a problem. Um, but yeah, like everything I've seen uh, from the video of like him coming back, like everything looks about the same. And he's like, again one of those guys that likes to swing. He'll swing and miss a little bit. He's got some power. He's obviously performed at the, at the highest amateur level in the SEC. And so you're looking at a guy that could be a you know, 250, 260, enough walks, and hits 20, 25 homers uh, and plays a good right field. <clears throat> and <clears throat> sometimes those guys turn out, you know, like J.J. Bode is another good example, where he's been a little up and down after being the fourth overall pick. And now it looks like he's got a chance to be a low-end everyday guy, but we'll see. Uh, and sometimes those guys, you know, turn into stars and other times they turn into platoon guys. Like there's still that whole, that whole range of possibilities. And obviously it's very early with Kerstad to say for sure what it'll be, but like, he's, it's good to see that he's back on the field performing well. And like, even his numbers, like in 10 games already look like about what you thought they would be. Um, right. so yeah, I would imagine he goes to high A and then if things keep continue to go well, that, uh, he'll be on that fast track to the big leagues. All right. We have uh, ESPN Baseball Insider Kylie McDaniel with us. Just a few more minutes with Kylie. Hey, let's move to the draft. The Orioles have the number one pick again this year. They've been linked to a number of players. Pundits have seemingly narrowed it down to Jackson Holiday or Drew Jones. 
Are those the two can't miss draft prospects this year? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I hesitate to say uh, can't miss right. because I was actually just doing the exercise in my head. Like, if I'm like sitting on the um, if I'm sitting on the set of the at draft for ESPN, and they're like, you know, Drew Jones is surprisingly will fall into fourth or whatever. Like, some crazy thing happens with him, and somebody's like, all right, imagine how things don't work out for him. It's like, oh, well, he like. Last summer at East Coast Pro, when all these guys were on the same field, like all you know, all four of those high school guys that are in the mix are on the on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. He wasn't obviously way better than everybody else at that thing. And I think this spring he has like separated himself, but he's like playing like low level competition, uh, private school in Georgia. And you know the tools are still good. It's not like he's not a good player, but it's like yeah, I can imagine that guy not working out. Whereas right. you know we talk about some of these guys like you know Gunnar Henderson. It's like well, he's not going to fail. Like he'll be like a decent platoon guy at worst. Like he's in AAA going bananas. Like that guy is almost guaranteed to be decent. Whereas like Drew Jones, it's like you know he's faced you know a bunch of ninety plus and he's done well. And uh, Jackson Holiday, I, I essentially have like a three way tie for the second guy in this draft. I have uh, Tamar Johnson, second baseman uh, of the Atlanta area high schooler, Elijah Green. Uh, center fielder at IMG Academy in Florida, and Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday, uh, high school shortstop at Oklahoma. I've been going back and forth, like flipping those three guys right behind Drew Jones. Uh, and I would even throw in Cam Collier, the junior college third baseman, who was a high school player out of Georgia, but then went to a junior college and is a year younger than all those guys. Mm. I think those five guys have separated themselves as being better than everybody else. I think Drew is at one. I think Collier is probably at five. And then I think Johnson, Green, Holiday, two, three, four are all right there. I wouldn't say can't miss with anybody, uh, but I think for, for context, if I were to put them all in the top 100, I think Collier would be about 50th, Drew would be like 15th or 20th, and then those three guys in the middle would all be in like the 20 to 45 range, which is like obviously like a very healthy, like if you take that guy number one overall and he immediately goes in the top half of a top 100, you're pretty excited about that. Right. Uh, now, it sounds like the Orioles are considering either Brooks Lee or Jacob Berry as like the college option in that mix. I have those guys like much further down, like mm-hmm. outside of a top 100, maybe down to 150. I would not be excited about those guys. And for that reason, I, I think they're looking at those guys similarly to how I do. And I don't think they can justify taking them that high. Um, and I don't think Collier is like a real option up there. So that then gives you the four high school guys. And I think the the sort of more recent buzz has been, oh, it's either Drew Jones at one for full full freight or, you know, close to full slot. Or it's Tamar Johnson, not because he's necessarily by far the best out of those three other guys. I think he's the best of those three. I have him second on my board. Um, but because if he doesn't go one, he's probably going to go six or seven. Uh, and if you've been following the draft closely in 2012, when Michael Elias was running the draft for Houston, they ended up taking Carlos Correa number one overall. In retrospect, that was the right pick. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they basically reached out to four or five players and said, we think you're all basically the same. Who will take the lowest price? We will draft that player. And Carlos Correa came in like $200,000 cheaper than Max Freed, or else they were going to take Max Freed. Um, so they ended up being correct, and the reason they took him is because he wasn't going to go until six or seven if he didn't go first. Right. So he was offering the biggest discount because that's how the sort of market forces had it. Right now, Tamar Johnson, who I think is the second best player in the draft, would be offering the biggest discount for the same reason because for whatever reason, two through five don't seem interested in taking him, and I think he'd either go six or seven. Um, so I think those are probably the two most likely options because I think Drew Jones is the it's a, it's a full freight option, and then Tamar Johnson is the cut rate option, and then all the other guys would you know sign for 10% less than Drew, and I think they have him behind him, and I think the college options have sort of fallen to secondary, so I, the, I've been told by Orioles sources they're considering exactly five players, and that is still true right now. I don't know exactly who the five players are, but I think I think realistically speaking, there's going to be two options, the full freight and the cut rate. And I think it's Drew Jones and Tamar Johnson. And that's also one and two on my board. And I think it will be a $2 million gap between the two of them. So you, I think those are like pretty compelling choices where either one being the choice uh, and it still could, that still could not be reality. I think that is the most likely uh, outcome. 
both of those are good options. Whereas if they would have picked Jacob Berry number one, I would have gone on TV and been like, this is a mistake. Like they're taking, like they're going eight spots down when they have like potential perennial all-star high school players up here. Like that's the reason you get these picks is to take those kinds of guys. And you got four of them this year. You have to take one of them. Um, and so I think what I think their approach is right now is also driving with probably pretty close to what I would be doing. Right. And, and if we're reading the tea leaves from what the Orioles have done, you would think that they'd probably go with the $2 million savings to have more money for the rest of the draft. That's what they tend to do. That's what they did with Kerstad. Um, that's what they did with Colton Kalzer. So do you anticipate that the likely move is going to be Tamar Johnson for the Orioles? Well, and also in 2019, they took Adley Rutschman as the consensus best player. Right. Um, so they've, they've proven they can do both. And that year, Bobby Wood Jr. was seen as a clear second, and now is you know obviously pretty close. Like I think I think if they could have taken him at some savings, although it sounds like Kansas City kind of ran that price up since they were so eager to take him second. So I don't think there would have been savings that mm-hmm. that much. Uh, the question is, do the Orioles see Drew Jones as the, the clear best guy? Because the I, I think the, the the situation they've lined up into that their bonus pool is so big. Uh, hold on, I got it in front of me. It is sixteen point nine million dollars. Mm-hmm. So we'll call it seventeen million. The problem they have right now is this draft is one where there's not a lot of college pitching, which is what most teams kind of want in the first round. And I think a lot of teams will then take a guy that is 30, 40, 50th best, move him up, take him at 20 as a college pitcher, and say, okay, we're going to save a million dollars on this pick, and then we're going to go shopping for a high school pitcher with our second pick, and going to do something that like we've seen a couple teams do in the past, where they spend more money on their second pick than on their first pick, but you take the college guy with the first one because they'll be gone by the second one. Whereas the high school pitcher, you can float them down the board with, with big demands because they can you know, threaten to go to college and not sign. So it's, teams are scared of taking them if they don't have the deal in place. That is, I think, uh, maybe half of the first round will be significant savings to then spend it in the second or third round. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring all this up is the Orioles have all this money. they got $17 million. They're not going to get a $5 million player to get to their second pick. So they're going to be spending you know, two, $3 million at a time those next couple picks. It's going to take a while to spend $17 million if you right. chop at the first pick. You're then going to have like almost $10 million, which means two to $3 million for four or five picks in a row. Can you get a $2 million player to the fifth round? Like, I'm not even sure you can. Right, like, right. Is there one... And if we've noticed, we'll go back and look through the Orioles drafts. The last guy they spend seven figures on, Creed Willems, non-consensus guy, hasn't gotten that great so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carter Baumler, non-consensus guy, had TJ. Like, the last guy you spend the money on is usually not that good. It's usually the guy that only you like and nobody else does, which is not a great indicator of how good they're going to be. So if you chop at the first pick because you're like, ah, Drew Jones, Tamar Johnson, about the same. We think Drew's a little bit better, but, like, for $2 million, we'll take Tamar. That money then goes to, like, the fifth round with whoever's left over, that guy's not going to be very good. Right. Um, and so because they have so much money and so many players are going to get pushed to the second or third round and a bunch of college players are going to get pushed up into the first round for savings, you then have to look at, and I pointed this out in my last mock draft, they always have to then think, who is the sixth best $2 million player that we can actually get? Uh, and that guy's not very good. Is that a reason to take a lesser talent? And so then it comes back to, is Drew Jones better at all? Because it's not really $2 million anymore that you're saving. It's like $2 million in the fifth round with whoever's left, and that's not a real $2 million anymore. And I think if it's, well, who's better? I mean, Drew Jones looks like a model of who you want the number one overall pick to be. And for better or worse, I think he's the second best player in the draft. Tamar Johnson is a 5'8 high school second baseman. It's really easy to imagine how that doesn't work out. Yeah. Whereas Drew Jones, like, he could be Fernando Tatis Jr. or Juan Soto or Acuna. Like, he looks the way you want them to look at this age. And so those things are on the table. And Tamar Johnson could be Rafael Devers. Like, he could be Jose Ramirez. Like, that's on the table. But he doesn't necessarily have those markers that make you feel good that at 25 he will be more athletic than he is right now. Whereas Drew Jones does have all those things. 
So I think it then comes down to, again, I had to like explain the whole metagame of how to spend money in the draft. The Orioles almost have so much money, I think they're most likely to just take the, the best player is, regardless of price. And I think they're going to come down on Drew Jones with that. So I think it's more likely than not that they take him because the alternative is to take a, you know, a leftover high school pitcher that nobody else liked, which doesn't seem like a good way to save that money. Oh, that's excellent insight into how the draft process works. I didn't know that that was what all the, all those considerations went into how you spend the money on your first player. So that's phenomenal stuff there, Kylie. We really appreciate that. Now I have one last question for you before we let you go, and that's about Kamar Rocker. Uh, 180 ERA in four starts for Tri-City in the Independent League with 25 strikeouts and 15 innings pitched. Uh, they, they were saying that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago we're talking about Kamar Rocker being number one pick in the draft. He slid to, what, 10th or 11th last year with the Mets and then didn't sign. Where do you see him going in this year's draft, and what is his, is his major league potential? Uh the problem is, so he's pitching, essentially showing the same kind of stuff he showed at Vanderbilt mm-hmm. and is, you know, pitching effectively and you know, all that stuff seems to be back to normal. So I think a lot of, a lot of the sort of more casual fan watching this is like, oh, okay, well, the Mets didn't take him because they thought his medical was bad and he was going to get hurt and like, he's fine. So like, he should go 10th again, like where he went. And that's not going to happen unless he shares his medicals, because the thing that freaked out the Mets is something in his arm that will project his health in the future. It's not current. And this happens all the time. Like there are guys that, uh, remember Barrett Laux was drafted third overall, uh, the D backs were like this, what's in your arm and this medical is a disaster. We're not signing you. We didn't know this was the case. We'll just bank the, we'll take the pick next year. Um, which I believe was Archie Bradley. Uh, and we'll let you go. And then like, he was like, never the same. Like they actually saw the future was like, Oh, this guy's going to get hurt and not be the same. And we don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, teams will whack a guy on the medical and say like, he's not for us. And sometimes they become the 10th best prospect in baseball the next year. I think a very specific guy where multiple teams had him off the board because they thought his arm was going to explode. And then it didn't. Um, and so Kamar Rocker, only one team has seen it. The other 29, it, I don't think, I mean, we don't know yet, but that has not been shared to the other 29 teams yet. Mm-hmm. So the thing that made the Mets freak out about Rocker and say we're not signing him, not for any price or you know whatever would be available, we're not doing it. Uh, Twenty nine teams haven't seen it yet, and so it doesn't really matter if he's like throwing ninety six because like he did that last year, and like the Mets freaked out because of the thing that they saw projecting his health into the future. And so until we see it, a team has to dramatically lower their expectations of what he can be. And I think what some teams are looking, at, I mean, I've pitched this sort of idea is what I'm thinking about it as to some teams, and they're like, yeah, it's like kind of how we're thinking about it until we see the medical, and maybe we won't before the draft which is send him straight to double A, put him in the bullpen, have him throw two, three innings at a time, and try to get him to the big leagues as soon as possible. Because if you see the medical and you're also worried that, like, whatever the Mets saw, I don't want to speculate what it might be, that, like, if he ever gets hurt, maybe he won't pitch again. Like, what, you know, whatever the conclusion was from that, uh, we need to get that into big leagues as soon as possible. And so you, you're just essentially, like, picking a reliever at this point, regardless of whether he can start a relieve. It's the sort of uh, volatility that comes with a reliever. And so you then look at, like, you know, Ben Joyce and some of these other guys that will go relatively high – Somebody might take them in the late first round. Somebody might take them in the comp round. It'll be savings at that level. And then once you get to like the middle of the second round, you know, picks 40 to 60, I think that's probably a round slot, like million, million and a half. I think that's probably about expectations. And then once you get to like the late second or third, then it's like, oh, somebody promised him two and a half million dollars if he got to the third round. They're trying to get him down there. Uh, but if he doesn't share his medical before the draft, there's just going to be 15 teams that are going to say, no, thanks. We're not interested. And so obviously where does he go in the draft when half the teams or two thirds of the teams or whatever it is, aren't interested. There's no way to predict it. Like he might go in the eighth round and get $3 million. I have no idea, but like the, until he shares the medicals, there's no way to project where he's going to go. Right. There could be a GM or an owner that says, I want Kumar rocker to be picked on TV, take him at 24 and pay him whatever you have to pay him. Or it could be, no one's going to touch him for five rounds because nobody has any idea what's going on in his arm. 
Um, and that I think again, the casual fans even throwing ninety eight and in independent ball, they're like, oh, he's fine. It's just like, no, if he was fine, the Mets would have just signed him. Like that's not really the issue, right? Well, it's certainly going to be an interesting thing to see where he goes in this draft. He's he's doing all the right things uh, for Tri-City right now. And, but uh, again, like you said, it all comes down to those medicals. Kylie, what do you have coming up for ESPN? Uh, I've got a mock draft coming on either Monday or Tuesday. I'll file that this weekend. Uh, and then we've got a draft notebook, uh, which will be you know rounding up a bunch of uh, different topics there will be a i think a very buzzy headline slapped on that so <laughs> keep an eye on it i think it'll get picked up by some local papers of the team that i'm writing about uh I'll final draft rankings next week uh we'll have a draft guide for teams uh mock 3.0 coming the week after that uh and then obviously we'll have you know draft recaps and um all the all the various reviews coming up and all that sort of thing uh and then right after the draft we have 2023 rankings we have you know trade deadline content we have Top 50 updated prospects, which I guess I revealed a little bit of on here that I just did the whole thing last night. Yeah. Maybe it'll be 100. Who knows, since I've already done that. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, we certainly appreciate your time, Kylie. Where can our listeners follow you? Uh, on Twitter, at KylieMCD, K-I-L-E-Y-M-C-D. All right, sounds great. We'll be sure to get that information out there. Thank you so much for the time. Great segment, as always, and we'll talk to you down the road, all right? Yep, thanks for having me. All right, take care. That was Kylie McDaniel, ESPN's baseball insider, coming on to talk the Orioles' prospects and what they could do in this year's draft. Just want to remind you guys about the event that Stan and Glenn Clark are doing right now. Uh, it's a benefit there at the for the Hamden Family Center. $15 per car wash at K&S Associates, 3939 Falls Road until 1 p.m. today. Your proceeds will all go to the Hamden Family Center, so get down there if you want a car wash for $15. Glenn Clark is wearing a hot dog Speedo, so you get to enjoy that if you head on down. Uh, we are going to catch a break. When we come back, we'll hit the payoff pitch around the league, uh, and then we will get into Connor Newcomb from the Locked on Orioles podcast. That and more next on The Bataround. Are you ready, soccer fans? This summer, the English Premier League returns to Baltimore. Arsenal, Everton, square off in the Charm City match, July 16th, under the lights at M&T Bank Stadium, home of the Baltimore Ravens. This is your only opportunity to take in a Premier League match this summer in the Mid-Atlantic region. Individual and group tickets are on sale at BaltimoreRavens.com. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy our award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings. Or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $7.99 burgers on Mondays and $6.99 nachos on Thursdays. Dine in and let us serve you or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very first Salute the Coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of his 15th season. Also inside, find tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasha Sorovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount St. Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and poly basketball coach Kendall Peace. We also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl, the athletes whose lives these coaches have impacted, offering insights on what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Welcome back to the Bat Around. Today's show is brought to you by uh, Simply the Bets and Weekend at Bookie. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 11.40. Fandle Sportsbook General Manager Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 11.40, tune in for Weekend at Bookie's as Andrew Stecken, Alloy Sports, Brad Cronthal help you make some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. And with that over and done with, it is now time for the payoff pitch around the league. In a bullpen game, the Orioles used five relievers from start to finish and allowed just one hit to the struggling White Sox. Retiring the final 19 batters they faced in a 4-1 victory, Adley Rutschman collected the ninth double and the 11th extra base hit in his last 13 games in the win. Francisco Lindor homer doubled and drove in four to back a quality start by Taiwan Walker as the Mets down the, the down the Marlins uh, five to three. Justin Verlander spun seven innings of one run balls as strong Cy Young com- campaign continues, and Kyle Tucker provided all the offense with a three run homer to lead the Astros over the Yankees three to one. Christian Arroyo returned to the lineup for the Red Sox and proved to be the difference maker, homering amongst his three hits and driving in three as the Red Sox stopped the surging Guardians six to three. Jeffrey Springs struck out nine over six quality innings, and Harold Ramirez played the hero, collecting a pinch hit walk-off RBI single in the 10th to push the Rays past the Pirates 4-3. Freddie Freeman reached base three times and scored twice in his return to Atlanta to back a 9K performance over six innings from Julio Urias to help the Dodgers take care of the Braves 4-1. Josh Bell collected three hits in the game-winning RBI in the eighth as the Nationals won a pitcher's duel over the Rangers 2-1. Zach Greinke making his first start since May 29th allowed just one run in six innings as the Royals shut down the A's 3-1. 
Herman Marquez tossed seven and two-thirds innings of shutout ball despite five walks, and Charlie Blackman drove in the lone run on a fielder's choice grounder in the sixth to help the Rockies to a one-to-nothing victory over the Twins. Dylan Bundy allowed one run in six innings to take to take the hard luck loss for the Twins. Alejandro Kirk went four for four with a home run and two RBIs, and Matt Chapman drove in three on a bases-clearing double on a five-run second to power the Blue Jays past the Brewers nine to four. Kyle Hendricks struck it, struck out six over seven in the third shutout innings as the Cubs stifled the Cardinals three to nothing. Eugenio Suarez doubled twice and reached base four times to help lead the Mariners over the down and out Angels four to three. Mike Trout tripled and homered for the Angels in the loss. Javi Baez launched a grand slam in the third inning for the Tigers, and that proved to be the difference as Detroit took care of the of business against Arizona five to one. Mackenzie Gore tossed five shutout innings, and Austin Nola collected his first ever hit off brother Aaron, an RBI single in the sixth that proved to be the game winner in a one to nothing Padres victory. Aaron Nola took the hard luck loss with seven innings of one run ball, striking out ten. And finally, Graham Ashcraft allowed two runs in eight innings of work, while Nick Senzel had two hits and two RBIs as the Reds doubled up the Giants four to two. Did not know until doing this last night that Aaron and Austin Nola were brothers. You did not know that. I didn't know that. Well, they are. I guess they're, I could. They are brothers. I, I guess I could have figured it out, but I didn't know <laughs> until it said that it was his first ever hit and it was a game-winning RBI single. Fascinating, fascinating. Go. Well, we a got lot, a bunch of games. A lot, lot of really low-scoring games. A lot of there pitchers were, duels there were, yesterday. There were. A lot of games on the ta- on tap for us today. Good matchup to start off the day. One hundred five. Christian Javier versus Garrett Cole. Astros and Yankees, two teams uh, performing extremely well, first in their divisions. Pirates at Rays. JT Brubaker versus the veteran Corey Kluber. One ten at Tropicana Field. Your Baltimore Orioles. They'll take on the White Sox. Spencer Watkins comes off. Uh, the injured list to face Lance Lynn at 210 at Guaranteed Rate Field. Adrian Sampson of the Sh- uh, Chicago Cubs faces off against Miles Michaelis of the St. Louis Cardinals, 215 at Bush Stadium. The young rookie Josiah Gray and the Nationals, they'll take on Matt Bush and the Texas Rangers at 405 Globe Life Field. The lefty Jared Koenig with, and his Oakland A's will take on Brad Keller and the Kansas City Royals, 410 at Kauffman Stadium. Chris Bassett, the veteran Chris Bassett of the New York Mets, will take on Trevor Rogers, the lefty of the Miami Marlins, 410 at Lone Depot Park. Yusei Kikuchi for the Blue Jays takes on Corbin Burns, the hard-throwing right-hander, 410 Blue Jays at Brewers American Family Field. Red Sox look to make it two in a row against the Guardians, 610 Josh Winkowski versus the former Cy Young winner Shane Bieber, 610 at Progressive Field. The Reds and Mike Miner will take on the Giants and Logan Webb, 715 at Oracle Park, Logan Webb, Incredible season, building on what he's doing last year and, and, and looks to become, again, one of the best pitchers in the National League. Antonio Senzatella takes on Chris Archer, Rockies and Twins, 7-15 at Target Field. Dodgers and Braves, Mitchell White versus the lefty Max Freed, 7-15 at Truist Park. Again, Freddie Freeman plays his second game back in Atlanta. Logan Gilbert, the righty of the Mariners, takes on Patrick Sandoval, the lefty of the Angels, 10-07 at Angel Stadium. Alex Fajardo, he'll take on the former Orioles, Zach Davies, as the Tigers battle the D-backs, 10-10 at Chase Field. And your final game tonight, Zach Eflin versus the lefty, former Tampa Bay Ray, Blake Snell, as the Phillies take on the Padres, 10-10 at Petco Park. All right, good stuff as always there, quick, Zach. Quick note, by the way. Um, I just wanted to throw this in there. For, the, Phil- for the Phillies, it's a good, yes. Mark, 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 Mark Appel. Uh, Mark Appel. Finally, he's gotten called up. A uh, guy who, 
if you read the book Astro Ball, you'll learn a lot about it. was picked number one overall. And, and, and finally, after uh, being picked in 2013, is making his Major League debut at 30 years old. He's been out of baseball multiple times. He's had injury issues. Um, and it's a really cool story. So hopefully you get to catch that game. Uh, he might make a, a, a relief appearance tonight. And he has a really good ERA. He's like a 160 ERA in AAA. Uh, the first time he's really pitched well in his minor league career. So it's a really cool story. A number one overall pick finally makes it to the major leagues. He was number one overall pick by the Astros. The Astros, By yeah. the Astros. Yeah. But then, did he sign or was that... So the, he got picked the year before eighth overall, and he did not sign. I want to. I'm trying to remember the team, but he didn't sign. I think it was Cleveland, wasn't it? Well, I don't believe it was Cleveland. But let me check. Um, but yeah, he. So he is, is one of you know the only uh, number one overall picks who never has actually. Um, it was. I think it was. Uh, it was. It was the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's who took him eighth overall um, mm-hmm. in 2012, and he didn't sign. First overall pick in 13, and one of the only first overall picks, along with Brady Aiken, another uh, Astros draft pick who never made the major leagues. Now he Mark finally Mark Appel's been there. drafted three times. He has, and he, he was drafted in the 15th by the Tigers in 2009, but that was out of high school, obviously, and then drafted out of Stanford twice. Uh, but it, it's just a crazy story. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him on the mound if I get to catch the game at all. But it, it's it's just it, it's very cool for a guy who's gone through as much as Mark Appel has. Read his mm-hmm. Wikipedia page. This guy's been on the injured list like 15 times. Like It's, right. it's insane. For him to bounce back and finally make his major league yeah. debut nine years and ten seasons after he was drafted, is uh, it's certainly impressive to say the least. And Good for him. Even yeah. if, it, even if it, he doesn't amount to a hill of beans, it's an accomplishment considering everything that he's yeah, gone through. And that's the way I felt about Cody Sedlock, too, when he debuted for the Orioles a few weeks ago. Like He's, he's gone through a lot. You know, A former first-round pick finally making a, a debut, but certainly a number one overall pick has even more uh, you know, excitement around it. So yeah, definitely I, cool. I, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, good stuff there. I wanted to mention, actually, I saw that from The Athletic a little bit earlier today during Stan's segment, um, but didn't get around to saying it. We're going to be joined momentarily by Connor Newcomb from the Locked on Orioles podcast. We uh, didn't get an opportunity to do Orioles banter today. So I do want to talk a little bit here about Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, and uh, Adley Rutschman. And the way these guys are swinging the bat right now, they're forming a heart of the order that's becoming quite formidable and giving you a glimpse of what we could see in the future from from the next contending Orioles ball club. And it's just really special. Austin Hayes is becoming one of the best all-around players in baseball. What he's doing defensively, Second in the majors with six outfield assists. The diving catch the other day, he hit for the cycle this week. Austin Hayes has been having a great season and looking like that player that the the Orioles took in the third round 2016 that became the first player from the 2016 draft to make his major league debut. A guy who was a finalist for the National Minor League Player of the Year in 2017, hitting over 300, hitting over 30 homers, driving in over 90. He looks to be becoming that player right before our very eyes. Ryan Mount. Castle, the bat's getting better every month. He's hitting the ball with the with authority, becoming one of the best young power hitters in the game. And then Adley Rutschman, if looking like he has a really great chance to reach that ceiling that we've heard about, that really high ceiling. He's hitting over 320 in his last 13 games. And we mentioned before the 11 extra base hits in those 13 games. He is he is the fastest Orioles catcher to hit seven doubles. 
um, which is a, like a really weird out there stat. But he had the most doubles in his first 25 games of any Orioles catcher was what the actual stat was, and that was seven. Um, so he's looking like the real deal, and everything he hits, even the outs, are hard. So the, the Orioles' heart of their lineup is becoming quite formidable right before our very eyes. And to talk more about that with us on the bat around today from the Locked on Orioles podcast, we have Connor Newcomb. Connor, are you down in the Ocean City or are you still on the drive down? I am on the way. I'm currently uh, in Delaware. We are less than an hour out. All right. Are you, is it a family trip? You going down with buddies? Just going down for the weekend? What's going on with you? Yeah, this is the uh, this is the annual uh, family trip. Nice, nice. We I haven't been down to Ocean City for a vacation in a few years now. We're going down in August, so I'm really looking forward to that. More so what I'm looking forward to is the continued progress from this Orioles baseball team. And, Connor, they are 27-25 and 25 over their last 52 games. How good is this team actually? Yeah, I mean, they're not they're not finishing over 500. I think everyone knows. Like, you, you look at what's happening this weekend. Like, the Orioles just put together a bullpen game with five waiver claims and gave mm-hmm. up one hit. I mean, they're starting Spencer Watkins tonight. You know, it's not going to keep going like this. And just without John Means, without Grayson Rodriguez, and who knows how long they'll be without Kyle Bradish, even though he hasn't been very good. Like, this could be an extended absence for him. The rotation is going to hurt them at some point. I agree. But, I mean, they're 70 wins good, I think, which, like, you need that bridge year. You can't go from 50 wins to 85 wins. You need that bridge year, and I mean, to go from 52 to 70 would be incredible. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Getting to this, uh, getting to the 70 win mark, I think was the best that we could have hoped for. And there are people that are really buying in. And I'm like, look, the offense and the bullpen are there, but that starting rotation is going to crush them at some point. And, and right now, they're getting by with smoke and mirrors. They're getting quality innings out of Austin Voth in, in, in two bullpen games in less than a week. Um, you have Means and Bradish on the aisles. Zimmerman sent down because of the ineffectiveness. You bring Kramer up, and Kramer and, and Tyler Wells are forming a nice one-two punch, but that's really all you're getting out of this rotation. John uh, Jordan Lyles, he'll give you six innings of two-run ball, and then he'll give you four innings of five-run ball, so you don't really know what you get him from him. Uh, where, is there any help coming? Is Matt Harvey good enough to help this team continue to play solid baseball? Matt Harvey's going to pitch in this rotation at some point this year. I mean, I'm pretty certain of it. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, depending on how long this Bruce Zimmerman situation takes, because the plan is not for Bruce to, you know, spend the rest of the year in AAA. The plan is for Bruce by the All Star break, the latest, to be back in the big leagues. I think, and you know. He's down in AAA, so he can take more time in between his starts, and he can work on the new delivery, the new set position. And, you know, in his first AAA outing, he gave up five runs in his first inning, and then he went four scoreless after that and struck out six. So he figured out something at least a little better um, in that first outing in AAA. And he'll be back, so that'll help. But, I mean, you know, Matt Harvey is a better option than Spencer Watkins. Down the line, he's a better option than Austin Bowe. I mean, he gave the O's some solid innings eating last year. I mean, he did last year what Jordan Lyles has kind of done so far this year. I think Lyles may have been a little bit better than Harvey was last year, but they're going to need him, and, you know, the suspension is going to be up soon. He'll go to AAA, probably make five or six starts there, and then, you know, end of July, we might see Matt Harvey back as well. But in terms of reinforcements, I mean, 
I really don't think we're going to see Grayson Rodriguez in the big leagues this year, even if he's healthy and comes back in September. Me either. And and I think we're going to see DL Hall, but I don't think it's going to be a you know he can start and give us six innings. I think you could see DL Hall in a situation where he starts and pitches three innings, and then Spencer Watkins or Austin Both or you know someone like that, Keegan Aiken pitches three innings, and then they go to the end of the bullpen. So in terms of help. It's Matt Harvey. It's hopefully Zimmerman figuring it out and coming back. Because other than that, I mean, the only other guy I could say is, you know, at some point here, as long as the injury doesn't get worse, Alexander Wells is going to start to, to rehab and get himself back. He's really the only other guy. Remember, he was only pitching out of the bullpen this year before he got injured. So it, it's not a lot of help coming out of here. Right, and, and Matt Harvey, people just look at the overall numbers from last year, and he had that really bad uh, stretch there in May and June where he was just getting lit up. But in the second half of the season, he made 10 starts. He went 3-4 and four and pitched to a 4-1-8 ERA. Now, look, that's not a world beater, but that's somebody that when your offense is clicking that can help you win ball ballgames. Um, and, and, again, it's not really about wins and losses for the Orioles this year, but they're playing well enough that you want to see the good times continue, and until they get help in that rotation, it's going to be tough sledding for them at some point. Uh, now, we mentioned Tyler Wells and Dean Kramer. Tyler Wells has been the best, most consistent starter for this team. Dean Kramer, in four starts, uh, he hasn't. he's given up one earned run since his first inning in his first start, and that covers 20 and a third innings. How good of a one-two punch have they been, and how does this affect the Orioles moving forward if they have two pitchers in Wells and Kramer that will have no restrictions last year that maybe can give them quality innings? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the jury's still out on, on both of those guys. I think Kramer more so than Wells, just because mm-hmm. we saw Wells have success in two different roles over two, you know, a season and a half, basically, at this point. So I think it's safe to buy into Tyler Wells. And there was a good piece that uh, John Gidoli wrote in his newsletter this week, uh, just about how Wells, you know, basically is taking the approach of, I know my, my innings and my pitch count is limited this year, so he's almost tried to not strike as many guys out mm-hmm. so he can keep his pitch count down and he can get through more innings. Now, that didn't happen this week in his last start when he, you know, he reached a career high, I think he threw 95 pitches in five innings. But generally, he's been throwing six innings, you know, 81 pitches, 78 right. pitches, and not a lot of strikeouts. He has said, though, that once, the, you know, the reins are off next year, he's going to kind of unleash that stuff we saw out of the bullpen last year even more, and it could become six scoreless innings with eight strikeouts instead of five scoreless innings with two. And I think, like, I'm fully bought into he's going to be one of those five guys for a while now. Dean Kramer, obviously, is still a lot of questions just with how bad last year was. Mm-hmm. And it's only been four starts. But I think the good thing with Kramer is he's made, like, a very visible change from last year. You know, if you remember when he came up, you know, everybody used to talk about his big curveball. He used to throw up for strikes all the time and then drop that, that slow curveball in. He's basically given up on that pitch almost, and he throws his cutter a lot more. He, you know, has more velocity on his fastball, and he, he basically has incorporated a changeup for the first time in terms of pitch that he'll throw more than three or four times a game. And that cutter on in his last start against the White Sox, he got ten whiffs on that pitch. Right. I don't know if there's another Orioles starter this year who's got ten whiffs on one pitch in a start. So there's something there with Dean. And, you know, I'm not all the way bought in that, you know, he's a future rotation piece yet. But it's good to see it's like it's not smoke and mirrors. It's, he's made legitimate changes from the disaster that was last year, and they're working at it. 
Yeah, and the cool thing about him is that last year he really struggled to throw strikes, and that cutter would sometimes just float over the middle of the plate and get hit a long, long way. This year he's throwing strikes, he's pitching with confidence, and he's getting a lot of chases on that cutter now. We saw um, with some events with Zavala and with uh, Abreu uh, on on Thursday night where they were just chasing that cutter out of the strike zone, and they, they couldn't do anything with it. With Kramer, he's pitching with confidence. How much? How important is it for a pitcher to pitch with that confidence that they can go out and they can get big league hitters out? Yeah, I mean, we saw that confidence in 2012. He came up. You know, he makes his first career start against the Yankees. And, you know, what, pitches six innings, gives up one or two runs, I think. He has six or seven strikeouts. I mean, he came up, and as soon as he was in the big leagues, was facing the Yankees and pitched really well. And I think one that hit. instilled a lot of confidence in him. And, you know, he just didn't have that last year, couldn't find the strike zone, was getting behind hitters, you know, was missing with his, his best pitch, which is his cutter, and didn't have confidence to throw it in any counts, or just throwing a lot of stuff in the middle of the plate, giving up home runs. He certainly got it back. And I think, you know, you, it takes confidence to kind of, you know, get away from, you know, that pitch like the curveball I mentioned. That was kind of the pitch that, you know, at least defined him for a while in the minor leagues with that, that big breaking curveball that he could throw in any count. It takes confidence to get away from that and, and kind of, you know, realize that that's not what's bringing you success. And, and he's definitely a different guy. Yeah, it, it certainly looks like it. We hope the good times continue there with Dean Kramer because that's a big coup for the Orioles if that does continue. Now, something that's been huge for the Orioles is the combination of Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, Adley Rutschman. They're all in a groove right now. The heart of this lineup with those three guys in the middle of it looks very formidable. Where do you rank them uh, amongst the amongst the American League's best amongst this division? Uh, I, I know that they're not up there with like the Yankees and the Blue Jays, but how good is this heart of the Orioles lineup? Yeah, I mean, right now, it's not the worst in the American League East. A lot of that has to do with how injured the Rays are right now, but if you look at the lineup that the Rays are putting out there night in and night out, mm-hmm. I mean, it's rough in Tampa with all the injuries they've had. So I think with an injured Rays team, I mean, the Orioles clearly have the fourth-best lineup, at least, in the division. Now, Austin's got so much power in the middle. Toronto's ridiculous. The Yankees are ridiculous. So it's tough to compare them to the division. But if you look at some of the other teams they've played, I mean, you know, listen, the White Sox have some big names on that roster. Mm-hmm. But look, from what we've seen the last two nights, I mean, you know, Jose Abreu is not an MVP player anymore by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, guys like Moncada have continued to struggle. And, you know, they're missing Yasmani Grandal. And you know, I look at that White Sox team last night, and, and there's a reason the White Sox are, you know, have the same amount of wins as the Orioles now. But they came in as a World Series contender this year. And I look at that team, and I say, you know, they have better starting pitching than the Orioles, no doubt about it. But the rest of the Orioles roster looks at least equal to what the White Sox have. And that's, you know, a, a big point of confidence for O's fans like moving forward. Now, with Austin Hayes in particular, he hit the cycle this past week. The defense has been has been great. The arm has been phenomenal. Uh, he And he's been really, really consistent uh, offensively this year. A lot of people are calling for him to be an all-star. Uh, he looks like one of the better all-around young players in the game right now. Should Austin Hayes be an all-star this year? Is he just a solid player on a bad team? I think he needs to be there. I mean, I think the only thing that could hurt him is just how good Jorge Lopez has been. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Lopez is far and away the second-best reliever in the American League right now. 
I mean, Clay Holmes for the Yankees, we've seen it. He's literally been unhittable. But Lopez is right behind him. And, you know, I looked last year. There were seven relievers on the American League All-Star team last year. There were five names to the team, and then two more relievers were replacements who were, I think, starters who started the Sunday before the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jorge Lopez is easily one of the best top seven and top five relievers. Right. So the one thing you can do with teams that are bad is say, well, this player is clearly an all-star. They've got their one selection. We don't have to take anybody else. And Hayes is not going to get voted in. No. You know, Trout, Trout, Judge, and, you know, whoever the third outfielder is not going to be on Hayes. And so it's basically about the respect he's getting from the other players and the managers who kind of, you know, decide who those bench guys are. And to hit for the cycle, to, to do what he's done this year, the defense really helps him because he is ruining a lot of base runners' days, and they're going to remember that when it comes to, to try and decide who's in the All-Star game. I think he needs to be there. It could hurt him a little bit with how good Lopez has been because, you know, the, the, the you know whoever's side of the roster just kind of take that out and say, Jorge Lopez is a lock. There's the Orioles' one representative. I mean, if you're looking down the outfielders, obviously Trout and Judge are locks of the voting and because the stats. But behind that, you know, you've got a group of seven or eight outfielders who are worthy but not locks, and he's in there, and, and he certainly, I think, deserves to be there. Now, you mentioned Jorge Lopez and the year that he's having. Three and three, 13 saves, a .75 ERA, a .81. I'm sorry, it's a .73 ERA, a .81 whip. Uh, he looks as unhittable as any pitcher I've seen all season. And a lot of people look at, have been saying this past week, you look at his age, he's, gonna, he's 29 years old, uh, he hasn't had success at the major league level until this season, and they say the Orioles should trade him while his value is at the highest. I say the Orioles are uh, at a point where they're about to turn a corner here with this rebuild. You need to hang on to players that, that, that can help you win ball games at the next when you've reached the next level of what the Orioles are trying to do. And relievers have a much longer shelf life than your ordinary player because of how the limited innings that they have. You see the good relievers pitched to to their late 30s, early 40s. Are you on the trade Jorge Lopez train, or do you think the Orioles need to hang on to him? If Jorge had been put in the bullpen last April and was doing this last June, I would have said trade him. Mm-hmm. because of how far behind it seemed the Orioles still were, because he's almost 30, because he was pitching so well, and because every single team needs relievers at the deadline. Every team looking to get in the playoffs needs relievers. You can see that by what the Orioles have gotten in their reliever trade that they've made over the past couple of years. I mean, the return that they got from Michael Gibbons from the Rockies is still baffling. Now, some of that is because the Rockies, but still. Um, but this year, I mean, you know, this team is not making the playoffs. I said this at the top. They're not finishing over 500. They're also 33 and 39. Um, they had got 33 wins a month earlier than they did last year. They're right. six games out of a wild card spot, which is more of a fun thing to say than something we should actually be paying attention to. Right. I would keep him. I mean, you know, he just hit arbitration, which means you got him for three more years, I think, after this, before you even need to think about free agency. You better hope that this Orioles team is competitive in the next three years. And if you can have Jorge Lopez at the back end of the bullpen, I mean, I sent out a tweet, I think, about a week and a half ago. And, you know, I basically said, you know, all Orioles fans felt like they were on board with Jorge Lopez moving to the bullpen last year. And we all feel like we're right. But nobody saw him turning into prime Zach Britton. And I got the pushback on that, like, oh, Zach Britton was one of the greatest relievers ever. 
Jorge Lopez right now is on pace for Zach Britton's 2016 season, which yep. is one of the more ridiculous things we've ever seen. Keep that in Baltimore, and yeah, Zach Britton was never that pitcher again. He's still a sub-2 ERA his next five seasons after that. Right. If you can get anything close to that out of Lopez, and he's your closer and at the very least setup man for the next three or four years, there is no reason to get rid of that if you truly think that this season is a sign of things finally turning around. No, I, I agree with you 100%. And people act like Zach Britton, his only good year was 2016. He had four years in the, in, in the bullpen with the Orioles with an ERA sub-2. Uh, and then he goes to the Yankees, has consecutive years with an ERA sub-2. When he's healthy, he's one of the best relievers in the game. And I don't think you – and if Jorge Lopez is of the same ilk – I don't think you want to get rid of that guy when your team is finally starting. To, and I don't think that you can justify it. The only way that you can justify to your fan base trading a, 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 an elite closer like that is if you get a return where you get a, a, a quality starting pitcher or two in return that's major league ready. Uh, that's the only way you justify that trade because you mentioned he is cost effective. He is still uh, under team control, and he's pitching as well as he is. You have to get something huge in return. Otherwise, I say hold on to Jorge Lopez like grim death. Um, now, the Orioles, they were talking about trades. We're talking about the trade deadline and who could be going, who, who could be coming for the Orioles. Connor, who do you see the Orioles dealing at the trade deadline? Because I don't know. I know they're not going to be buyers, but I don't know that they're going to be huge sellers either. Yeah, I. You know, it'd be interesting because this bullpen has been so good, mm-hmm. and they're still not in playoff contention. Again, I don't want them to trade Lopez. I just see a situation where somebody overpays for one of these relievers, right? And they ship them out, and I don't know who it's going to be. And it could be somebody who surprises you. And obviously, there's a caveat here because they already traded Cole Salter and Tanner Scott a week before the season started. Right. So they kind of, you know, it ended up not gutting the bullpen as much as I thought it would, but they traded the two more veteran guys in the pen already. And they kind of left this bullpen to be kind of this younger, less experienced crew. And it's obviously worked out really, really well for them. You know, I could see, you know, a guy who is really volatile but can also get on a hot stretch is maybe CNL Perez. And I could see him maybe being dealt just because, you know, he has some underlying stats that are kind of concerning that a blow-up might be coming soon, but he still has good stuff. And somebody could still be really intrigued by him. And I think with the emergence of Nick Vespi, you still have a lefty in there who could kind of take over his role. And, and, and you know, there's some other relievers even in triple end that could be ready to, to come up and replace him. But other than that, I mean, I think Trey's getting dealt. Um, just there's there's been no talks dating back years of an extension. Right. Obviously, he signed that you know mutual option, but that's just smoke and mirrors. A mutual option is essentially never picked up. Um, it's just a way to make like the player feel better and have him make a little more money in his last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I think he's going to be dealt. There's going to be a lot of teams looking for a bat, especially with the DH in the National League now, with the way that Trey's been hitting the ball. His exit velocity numbers and all of his expected stats being so much better than his actual stats and how hard he's hit the ball. And I just think, you know, somebody's going to want Anthony Santander with how good he's been. And I think the Orioles really want to get a full look at Kyle Stowers. And I truly think myself, and I think the Orioles think that Stowers is a better long-term player than Anthony Santander. Yeah. And Santander's value pretty high right now. I mean, he's leading the team in homers. He's hitting good from, from both sides of the plate. And as we saw, you know, 
on Thursday night, he's, you know, he was kind of a bad defender, then he was a good defender, then he was kind of a bad defender again last year. And he's gotten himself at least to, I think, a league average outfielder. And all that combined, somebody's going to take that corner outfield bat. And I just think it's time to move him. And there's honestly a little bit of the Santander thing where you're going to miss him for 10 games this year because of the unvaccinated situation. Who knows? You could be missing him for 10 games a year over the next couple of years going to Toronto. Right. And I really think they think Stowers is going to be better, and I, and I just think that trade's coming. So I would say in terms of likelihood, I think trade's number one just because of the free agent this year, and I don't think they're bringing him back. I'd say Santan there, too, and then one of the relievers would be great. All right. I, I think we're on the same page there. I, I could see them dealing Odor, too, to maybe get – uh, Vavra up here, or maybe even Cesar Prieto later in the year if he continues to flourish uh, in the minors. Uh, I don't think Odor is long for this roster, especially when he hasn't been hitting for about a month now. Um, all right, last question before we get to take to rate Connor. Draft is coming up here in a few weeks. Orioles have the number one overall pick. Who should the Orioles draft, and who do you think they will draft? So I have decided that I am fine with three names. Okay. I think if Drew Jones, Jamar Johnson, or Jackson Holiday are the pick, I will be okay. I think what we've learned is that all of those guys might actually be willing to take a little bit under the slot value as well. So the O's, you know, might honestly pick the best player in the draft and still save a little money in their bonus pool. Now, Drew Jones has kind of been the sexy name. Obviously, his dad, for a time, was one of the best players in baseball. And, you know, you're thinking, could we get Andrew Jones part two? And, and that's obviously, you know, he's going to be a great player, and I'll be fine with him. I have been on the Tamar Johnson hype train for the last six months, and I'm just going to stay on it because he's still definitely one of those five or six players, Elias has mentioned, uh, that they're considering. You know, the big Tamar Johnson thing has been he might have the best hit tool that we've seen in, in, in a draft in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I get that he's a second baseman, you know, long term, and that's a little scary. You know, a second baseman's never been taken first overall because you want a projectable position. Yeah, some guys end up at second base, but you want to take them when they're a short them and not already a second baseman. And I get that. But if his hit tool is going to be that good, and, you know, he's like the Ozzy Albies or better type player where it's just like, yeah, he's at second, but he's such a good hitter that like it, it just doesn't matter. I think he fits with what the Orioles want to do, just a tool that is so, so good that you take a number one. They'll save some money there. And, you know, you'll see on mock drafts that Johnson is like sixth or seventh now. The only reason is he didn't play at one of those like crazy high school academy programs. He doesn't go to these showcases every weekend. He's just kind of a guy who, like, plays at his local high school and is really good. And that's almost hurt his stock when he's not, like, a bad player. He's just kind of on a regular high school baseball team with not, like, seven D1 studs around him. Right. And I think that's that's why a lot of people think he's dropping down the board. I just think the hit tool is so, so good that he could be Baltimore's second baseman, you know, in, in 2024. And, like, we will just be loving this guy. But, again, if it's Holiday, if it's Jones, I'm totally on board. But uh, I think I think I'd take Tamar Jones. All right. Uh, sounds good to me. I, honestly, I'm okay with any of those three players also. I, Even though I don't think he's the number one talent, I think that the bat plays well enough. That Bro- the, I could get on board with Brooks Lee. 
Um, but that would be my fourth choice at best, I think. Um, but I, I'm, I'm leaning Drew, Drew Jones, um, Jackson Holiday, or Tamar Johnson as well. Uh, with that in mind, Connor, before we let you go, we play a little game on this show called Take to Rig. Take to Rig today is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, which is the best place to be for the playoffs and all the upcoming events. Bet on every sport with 61 self-service kiosks open 24-7 and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. You can watch and bet on UFC 276 next Saturday night in the FanDuel Sportsbook. So make your res- your uh, reservations today by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. That's events at sportssocialmd.com. Connor, the way we play Take the Rig, I think you've played with us in the past, but I just want to um, refresh your memory about how this game works. The only rule is that you can't take the player that was taken by – so, like, you're our guest, right? So if we had a guest last week and they took Austin Hayes, you wouldn't be allowed to take Austin Hayes. However, we didn't have a guest last week, so the board is wide open for you – Except for the fact that one of Zach and I um, has to had to win from last week, so I'm going to leave it to you to determine who the winner is because it was really, really close. All right, you ready to do this? I'm ready. All right, Zach took Adley Rutschman last week. He went five for eighteen. He, he had no walks. He slashed two seventy eight with a two seventy eight on base percentage, but a six sixty seven slugging percentage and a nine forty five. OPS because all five of his hits were extra bases. Four doubles and a home run with three RBIs, three strikeouts. A batting average on on balls in play of just 286, though. I took Ryan Mountcastle. He went 8 for 24. Slash line of 333, 360, 458, 818 with a batting average on balls in play of 471. Three doubles, two RBIs, two walks, seven Ks. Rutschman walked just the one time, or did not walk at all this past week. On the surface, you'd see the 333 batting average and the 360 on base percentage for Malcastle, and you say, well, he wins. But Rutschman had five hits, and they were all extra bases, and he had the 945 uh, OPS. Who won Take the Rake last week? Yeah, I think this is like razor close, but. Honestly, I, I will give it to Adley, and only because this was, like, his big breakout week as well. So I think he gets the bump there, and he's basically penciled in for an extra base hit every time he goes up there. And that home run he hit, like, I've been waiting for him to hit a ball like that, and no doubt or off the bat, mm-hmm. we finally got one. So I think the razor-thin edge goes to Adley Rutherford. Yeah, I was – I didn't know which way to lean there. Um, simply because of the fact that Mountcastle hit better and he missed a couple of home runs by a matter of feet, but even all of Rutschman's outs were loud. How many yeah. how many hundred mile an hour plus uh, exit velocities did he hit right out, right out of first baseman? And uh, he was robbed of a double by a diving catch by Pollock yesterday. You mentioned the moonshot home run, so I am okay. Even though it gives Zach a five to three advantage over me in take to rake, I am okay with Zach taking the victory on this one. However. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here, Connor, because it was so close. We're going to let you take the first pick this week. All right. And well, keep it, keep in mind, I'm... keep in mind, we are not going to have a show again until July 16th because PressBox is moving offices. So this is a guy who is going to rake for this coming week, the week after, and the week after that. That is 
that is a that is a lot of pressure. And you know, I, I feel like the the easy pick would be to take Adley with the way he's heating up. But if I've got that much time and space, I felt like Trey is heated up, Ryan Mountcastle is heated up, you know, Austin Hayes is heated up, Adley's heated up. We've seen it a little bit, but I think for the next three weeks or so, we are going to see 2021 version of Cedric Mullins. So I'm going to take Cedric Mullins. I think he's going to start hitting the ball out of the ballpark a little bit more um, and getting on base ahead of these guys. And we're going to see some more runs from the Orioles. I'm going to take Mullins. All right. It's it's a bold move because he, he kind of hit that 248, 249 mark and then has just stayed there for like six weeks. Um, but I would love to see a breakout. I just hope his swing decisions gets a little bit better because he's not getting on base at high enough of a clip to be batting leadoff, but he's got that speed. I'd like to see him start going the other way. Once he starts doing that, he tends to heat up a little bit. So Cedric Mullins worth keeping an eye on. That is Connor Newcomb's pick for the next three weeks. Zach, who are you taking? Uh, tough one. Um, give me Austin Hayes. Austin I'll Hayes? take Austin Hayes. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. Zach is taking Austin Hayes, and I'm going to do it for the first time in my history of Take Drake. I'm taking Adley Rutschman mm, because yeah. I, I he's hit into some tough luck, and he's still hitting 320 in his last 13 games. I think that some of those balls that are getting called are going to find ways to drop now. I'm taking Adley Rutschman uh, to rake the best for the next three weeks. Connor, what can we plug for you? Uh, people can find Locked on Orioles wherever they get their podcasts. Five days a week, Monday through Friday, and we're on YouTube as well, the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. Uh, make sure to subscribe there. All right. Connor, always great talking with you. Thank you for taking some time for us today. Have a great vacation with your family, and we'll talk to you down the line, all right? I will do. Thank you, guys. All right, man. Take care. And that was Connor Newcomb from the Locked On Orioles podcast coming on to talk all things Orioles and the draft coming up. Uh, just uh, Again, just to remind you all, for Take the Rate, Connor took Cedric Mullins, Zach took Austin Hayes, and I took Adley Rutschman. We have got to get our final break. We are so behind today. Final break, and then closing final thoughts here on the Bat Around next. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGambling help.org that first sip that first bite mm. start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at royal farms choose from a fantastic selection of fresh royal farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast royal farms you ready, soccer fans? This summer, the English Premier League returns to Baltimore. Arsenal, Everton, square off in the Charmed City match, July 16th, under the lights at M&T Bank Stadium, home of the Baltimore Ravens. This is your only opportunity to take in a Premier League match this summer in the Mid-Atlantic region. Individual and group tickets are on sale at BaltimoreRavens.com. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very first Salute to Coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of his 15th season. Also inside, find tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasho Sarovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount St. Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and Poly basketball coach Kendall Peace. We also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl, the athletes whose lives these coaches have impacted, offering insights on what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 1140. FanDuel Sportsbook Assistant GM Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 1140, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports' Brad Cronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Thursday, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. All right, welcome back to the bat around as we let the old GCR and the new bat around music play for you. Just want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by the latest edition of Press Box, which is available now, and it is our very first salute to coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of his 15th season. And inside, tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasha Sarovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount State Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and poly basketball coach Kendall Peace. And we also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl. The, the athletes whose lives these coaches have impacted offered in sites on what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Keep in mind PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com Somebody asked uh, AJ McCurchy, is that his name? Uh, I believe so. McCurchy, uh, and if I, if I butcher your name man, I am so sorry. It's a difficult one. Uh, he asked Will the Orioles' 2023 opening day infield be Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westbrook, Cesar Prieto, and Ryan Mountcastle, uh, along with Adley Rutschman behind the dish? And I, in an ideal world, yes. Mm-hmm. I do believe that that should be the Orioles' infield on opening day 2023, in, in an ideal world. Now, when we had Kylie McDaniel on earlier maybe they do the whole service time manipulation and we don't see some of those guys for 15 days. But you do get incentives 
for bringing up those players on opening day now. Uh, I, I believe that um, the only way that you don't get the extra year of service time... God, I can't remember exactly how it goes. It, it's if your player finishes in the top two for AL Rookie of the Year, um, you don't lose a service time. So I think you get an extra pick. Uh, I'm sorry. You get an extra pick if they if you have them up on opening day um, and they don't finish in the top two of AR Rookie of the Year voting. You get you get an extra pick in the draft, like a compensatory pick or something like that. So um, because of that, you might be able to see those guys. Look, if Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westbrook continue to do what they're doing at AAA right now, and Henderson's hitting 293 after going three for six last night, and Westbrook's hitting four is hitting 413 after going five for six last night. He's got five home runs in 13 games. I I cannot imagine a scenario in which the Orioles are like, nope, these guys aren't ready. Right. Uh, and, and I right. and I think that what you have in the infield right now, you have no answers at second base or third base, and Jorge Mateo. He is looking like a utility player. And just a glove, really, right. if anything. So. Right. So, And to hear Zach say that, because Zach loves Jorge Mateo. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, uh, the tools are pretty loud across the board, but it just hasn't translated, frankly, um, to him you know, hitting at a high level. And, you know, unfortunately, the, I, the batting average is under 200 now, I believe, mm-hmm. and he just hasn't put it together. So, I, you know, at some point, I think you, you say, okay, this is enough at-bats. I've seen a lot of it. You got to start thinking about other options. I don't know that I. am not a huge like I, I like Prieto. I, I don't know how high the ceiling is. I, I think maybe his ceiling could be just a, a, a slightly above average starting second baseman. But you know I I certainly think you know Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson are going to be um, especially for Henderson a, a, a star player in this league and then Westberg you know quite above an average uh, an average shortstop as well. So I'm looking forward to those two guys and that that's the presumed infield I would say. And, that's, and what what I'm looking at. And I, I do think that Prieto is going to join um, join Norfolk uh, sometime, sometime in the near future, especially with Vavra getting hit by a pitch the other day. And, yeah. and now he's, I don't know if he's going on the IL. Or if he's, he's not, pro- no. All right, not. But, but he hasn't proven he can stay healthy. Right. Right. So you could see Taron Vavra playing second base for you, but he, he profiles very similarly, in my opinion, to, to Cesar Prieto. And I think Prieto's a lot power. better. Um, yeah, I, I think the hit tool probably yeah. is a lot better. And I, I think Vavra is a guy who can hit for average but not do much else. I got to see Vavra. I, I've really liked the trade when they made it, uh, but he's had some issues staying healthy, number one. But the other thing is that I've started to look at Vavra more of a utility kind of role and say that you know he can he can play a bunch of positions. He doesn't really excel offensively really in any spot. Maybe second base is the best spot for him. But you know he's played a lot of shortstop in his minor league career as well. But I, I think with Vavra, they, he's an athletic guy who's versatile. I think he's played some center field in the minors as well yeah, uh, for the Orioles. So, you know, he, he's versatile, and they love versatile guys who can play a bunch of positions and, you know, maybe can get on base at a, at a decent clip. That's kind of where I see Vavra. I see Prieto as more of a starting quality player than Vavra, but we'll see. They both have a chance to prove themselves, and I think Vavra could be up sooner rather than later. I would not be shocked if Vavra is here by August. Right. Wouldn't and, be shocked. And, and, and the, the thing about it is that the Orioles don't have – Anybody blocking these guys? I mean, no, yeah. no. Uh, Arias is starting to hit again with that. Uh, was it a lat or an oblique? Yeah, I, I, I want to say it was a lat, but I could be wrong. But he, he's he's starting to hit again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still a while away because that's that's about a month injury plus. Sure, right. And then when he comes up here, uh, unless he starts to hit like he did last year, and look, he's hitting to some bad luck. 
he's not really a guy you project as being a future piece for you. And right. So you have Tyler Nevin playing third base. You have Ruth Neto Dor playing second base, and Mateo hitting, uh, uh, playing shortstop. And Mateo and Odor are both hitting below 200. Right. Richie Martin's hitting 217. These guys aren't <laughs> yeah. guys who you project to be no. a main part of your lineup. Get some of these guys who you think could be part of your future up here, sure. you know, and 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 see what they can do. I I think that that Cesar Prieto is going to hit at the big league level because he's hit at every level he's ever played at. Yeah, I, I I have a final thought about the infield too, and I'll, I'll talk about one more guy that I think could play into what they do this year and and their success at at this level. But uh, yeah, it, it certainly is exciting when you look at Prieto and Westberg and Henderson, and it that's the like you said, it's an ideal world. That's those would be the three guys that make up your infield. But and, and uh, offensively. It's kind of like the missing piece mm-hmm. from this line because this line has gotten a lot better, especially when you throw Rutschman right. into it. And then you're like, all right, really, we got to figure out second base, shortstop, and third base to really get this a, a complete top to bottom yeah. quality major league lineup. And then when you get to starting pitching, whether they get in the free agency or whether it's players that they developed on their own or through trades, they're really just the starting pitching away from being a yeah. really competitive team. Right now, so and you do get the lead off for final thoughts here as we have one of the longest shows ever here on the battle. It has been a long one. Jonathan Arauz uh, is a guy they claimed off waivers from Boston a few weeks ago, and while I don't think Arauz is a very good player necessarily, um, I do think he's a little better than Ryland Bannon. He's a switch hitter, has a little bit of speed, good athlete, can play a lot of positions. That should you know he I, I would like to see Arauz get a few at bats for the Orioles, maybe move around, see some different spots in the infield. Um, you know, bat eighth or ninth in the lineup, which he's doing today um, in his Orioles debut as he just got called up pretty recently today. Um, but I don't know. Give him a shot. I don't expect a lot. His minor league numbers are pretty average, but, you know, it, maybe maybe he's something. Maybe he's kind of he's only 23 years old, and when you get a guy that's 23 years old, you still have some molding you can left, uh, I guess, that's left to, to, to do with him, and there's some projection left for him. So, you know, maybe give him a shot. I wouldn't say, I, I'm not really, again, I, I look at him maybe as a utility guy down the road long term, but you know, give him a shot while, while you can. I, I don't think there's anybody really uh, that much better vying for that spot. If he's only 23 years old, and he's already been to the, in the big leagues a couple of times. Two years, yeah. Yeah, he's he's he, he, well, he was a Rule Five pick, that's why right. by Boston. Uh, okay, okay, but yeah. but even still, 23, he doesn't have to be in the big leagues, and he was he still was there, right? So uh, yeah. I, I'm talking about after the Rule Five. Pick. Oh, right, right, right. right. He yeah. was he still made the uh, major league roster at some point this year mm-hmm. when he didn't have to. Yeah. So this is a guy who look. I don't have any hopes for this guy whatsoever. I don't really I, either. I, I, no. I, I I think that you're just trotting out another Richie Martin, Jorge Mateo yeah. type type of player. But when right? a guy is 23, there is some level left of I guess projection. And, to and, and there's I mean, a reason that he was taken in a Rule Five pick. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, as a Rule Five pick. Um, for me, to go off yours, and this isn't my final thought, but just to to comment on your final thought. We saw Cedric Mullins get a bunt base hit mm-hmm. to use his speed to get on base because he's been struggling a little bit, right? And then you Definitely. see Jorge Mateo attempt a, 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 a drag bunt, and then he got hit by a pitch because Kopech didn't seem to like that. Yeah. I want to see these guys use their legs. You know, you, you saw yep. Mateo got his first hit in over a week the other night, and it was on an infield single to the third baseman. You've got elite speed. Mm-hmm. If you're not hitting, lay down some, lay down some bunts. Try to keep the ball on the ground and beat out some infield hits. You've got elite sprint speed. Use your legs. You know, I, I would like to see these guys try and bunt their way on and use their speed a little bit more and take better at bats. Your speed only helps if you're getting on base. So stop swinging at the freaking world and just get on base. 
right? Um, so I just that's what I I look at when I see these guys, and I'm like, your speed is worthless if you're not getting on base. So find a way to get on base. That, that, that that's how I look at it. Now for my final thought, and it's kind of a downer, <laughs> but it it needs to be said. People are getting really excited. And rightfully so. The Orioles are 27-25 for the last mm-hmm. 52 games. They've won 6 of 8. They've won 3 in a row. They're playing really good baseball. But be prepared for the crash, folks. I was going to say, regression, sure. Be yeah. prepared for the crash because the starting pitching is not good. No. And it's only getting worse. They have they don't have a ton of starters. They have nobody dominating at the at AAA except for D.L. Hall. And I wouldn't say what he's doing is dominating. He's just striking out a lot of guys. Right? They, they have nobody to fill a rotation spot. Matt Harvey, if he can be middling, that's a bonus for you if, when, when he inevitably gets into, your, into this Orioles rotation. This team, aside from Kramer and a very small sample size and Tyler Wells, they're not pitching well out of their starting rotation. And, you're, and Connor, Connor Newcomb used the term smoke and mirrors three or four times in our interview with him. The, this smoke and mirrors stuff with these bullpen games is only going to last for so long. Until the Orioles find guys that can give them quality innings, they're not going to get where you think they could get this year. They're not going to trade for starting pitching this year no. unless it's a, a guy like a Jorge Lopez who brings in a couple of um, minor league guys who are on the cusp of being right. quality major league starters. And uh, I, like Orioles statistics, great, great follow on Twitter. Um, great dude. And said that his pick for the Orioles record at the beginning of the year was 73-89, and he said last night, that may be under now. It's probably still over. Yeah. It's probably still over because as good as we've seen the Orioles be in two facets, offensively, well, three facets, offensively, defensively, and out of the bullpen, the starting rotation is what it's all going to come down to, and it's if it doesn't get better, and I don't see how it will, it's going to come crashing down on them. It, it, it's inevitable. We see this every year, right? Where the starting pitching is the downfall of the Orioles because the bullpen gets taxed. And, and keep in mind, we're only seventy-two games into the season. You have ninety games left. Mm-hmm. You have ninety games left with a rotation that's tattered and torn right now. Yeah. It, it, and I don't want to be a doom and gloom, shatter your glass ceiling or whatever. Uh, that's not the way. That's not the term because glass ceiling is. Somebody on the rise. I don't want to shatter your hopes and dreams, but in this rotation is going to be the downfall of this season. And, and just be prepared. Be prepared. It's fun to watch, and I hope it's. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see the Orioles continuing this competitive stretch for the rest of the year with that starting rotation being what it is. Now it can get better. Theo Hall can come up. Maybe Matt Harvey comes up and pitches a four and a half ERA and helps him. Maybe they get uh, Bruce Zimmerman back and he figures it out. But I have to see it to believe it. And right now, what I'm seeing is a rotation that's falling apart, and it's only going to get worse. So, sorry to be that doom and gloom guy, but I do want to thank you all for tuning into the bat around this week and every week. We are off next week and the following week as Pressbox moves their offices to uh, Baltimore County. We will be back Saturday, Ju- July 16th, to talk about the Orioles draft which is the next day they have the number one pick in the major league draft which is on july 17th we will have a draft prognosticator a draft expert on the show on the 16th not sure who it's going to be yet i have some ideas in mind but we will have somebody for you on that show until that show thanks to stan the fan charles for his weekly segment thank you to kylie mcdaniel for his excellent 
excellent segment with us today. And thanks, as always, to Connor Newcomb for being gracious enough to take some time out of his vacation to talk with us here on the Bat Around uh, for the next two weeks. See ya! <laughs>